Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode, another quite a long one. I think we, we gave like two hours long, but it was this one I laughed a lot. And we laughed a lot. We've covered all kinds of, of stuff. I'm definitely going to be someone we'll get on again. But it was I sit down with the fantastic Ian Andrews, who's a sound engineer, a sound guy, whatever sort of you want to, however you want to explain that. I think he does the sound in our local venue to me called The Outpost. He's done lots and lots of venues, hugely experienced in that kind of whole field. And I'm one of the first, I think, one of the first sound guys we've ever had on the show. And I've known Ian a while now. We met at, at several shows at, at The Outpost that we've, we we got talking. And a lot of people suggested that I talk to him anyway, that it would be a really interesting conversation. And it was. Um, so you know that I, it was almost imperative that I get him on the show. What I've been messing around with, kind of the show format, of reducing the amount that I do each week, because some of them seem to be getting lost and falling between the cracks. And in in and then doing the show on Friday, which is the live show, and then announcing the guest, and then maybe putting the guest on afterwards, the, or the, uploading the show afterwards, it gives us a time to. I want to get a bit like a bit of a three sixty of conversations, which as, as you tell me what you think about the show and what you think about the guests and what you like and what you don't like and wow a lot of people getting onto the show now a lot of listeners the listenership's moving right up now and there's a lot of feedback every time i put it out there people messaging me who i should talk to and what i should talk about and we cover quite a lot of stuff on this sit down it's with the fabulous ian andrews ian andrews finally getting to i would say finally a lot because there's these people who you you really have a list of people who you want to talk to and Ian, ever since I met him uh, at the outpost at one of the shows, I've been meaning to get on, on the show. And then a lot of people have said, you really need to speak to Ian. Um, he's got a lot to say, you know, re- really interesting person. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Ian, how are we doing? Um, not too bad. Lockdown's not been too bad. The garden's looking great. <laughs> we talked about every every household job has been done to within an inch of its life in my house. That's ridiculous. But... Um, so when we do these things, I mean, we've got a lot to cover. We were talking off off the show about some of the things that Ian's been involved in, and it's just a treasure trove of stuff that we need to cover. There's so much. Uh, where to start? I suppose the first thing we, we naturally do is we talk about the first music you hear and start to get into. What would that have been? Might not have been metal, whatever it may have been. Wow. Okay. First music. Well... I've always been like into music from when when I was like much much younger. Yeah. Um, I suppose I really really got into music when I was about sort of God when will it have been around about eight years old or something like that. Yeah. When we got the sort of when went into sort of um, I heard Abba. Yeah. On the uh, on the radio and sort of like sort of like me is pricked up sort of thing. I don't know whether it's the harmonies or what it was. I don't. I can't even remember what music, what what record it was. But it yeah. was Abba. Uh, not long after that, uh, I started listening to this and that, and you know, getting into whatever was around the time. Um, yeah. And I suppose, like my sister likes to remind me quite often, um, I had I was into um, Susan Quattro was one of okay. the first yeah, yeah, yeah. first was yeah. into. Um and I had hair pin up on the back of my door. Yeah. Uh, who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> Susan Quattro was the first the first time I saw a, a, a lady playing bass yeah. as well. well I went to that blew it. me away that she was a bassist and could properly play as well, like you know. Absolutely, yeah. She's she's there uh, she's uh, underestimated in the base in the base zone as they call it. Yeah. No, I went to see it, the British Music Experience, you know, down the front. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes, he was on there. Um, yeah. When was it? Like, like, like last year. And they went to see her do like a Q and A Q&A thing, and she was talking yeah. about it. And then they had the, yeah. there's, a, there's a movie that they had in real life and stuff. I was surprised. I was surprised, I was surprised that a second name is actually Quattro. It's it's Quattro. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's not Stacey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was like, yeah. I mean, I remember like she watching Top of the Pops back in the day. She was a real kind. I remember thinking, fucking hell, she's fucking. Hardcore. She's playing bass and give, not giving a fuck. She's fronting the band and all that. And it was very oh, much right. like you know, first time a sort of a sort of powerful woman in 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 music that was really kind of you know going out there and getting it done yeah. like you know. So Susie Kotcher was on the posters. You were listening to Abba. What else came up? Well, well, it was it was, it was sort of Abba and then Susie Quattro and then what happened then was uh, punk broke out, didn't it? Not long after okay. that. So uh, when I was a when I was a youngster, I was uh, desperately into punk. The first album I bought was Nevermind the Bollocks. Yeah. Uh, my mum was very pleased when I brought it. When I brought that, <laughs> <laughs> she said, "What? People what on earth is this that you brought home?" Sort of thing. And I, yeah, I people forget that now it's 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 almost like Duraguer. You can have something quite like you know uh, in your face on the cover, but it, the cover of the album is simply "Never mind the bollocks." Here's the Sex Pistols. That's what it is. It's in in multicolored layers, letters, but that's what it is. It's on Front Street, and yeah. people maybe don't realize, especially when it was released, just how fucking seismic that was. That it was, it was, yeah. it, it, they were saying bollocks. The word bollocks, like you know, yeah. they had like "God Save the Queen." They were saying. There was so many taboos broken. That must have been that must have been pretty air shattering. Then the pistols being like one of the first records you buy. That's it. Well, it was. <laughs> it was just. It was just for six years. I think it was the, the the sort of the guitar chords. They were really really powerful. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 uh, it, it was me. It was me mate's brother who actually had it on his house. Uh, yeah. And I walked in after 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 school or something like that. And I was listening to. Him. And I was asking, saying, what's this? What's this? Yeah. And I was like straight yeah. into it, you know, and so straight in. Anyway, I used to go to town every every weekend after that, like, you know, going to NEMS and Probe and whatever, you know, buying buying all sorts of this, that and the other. So, uh, yeah, my mum was never happy with some of the covers I brought home, but it was the music I was into, <laughs> not the covers, you know. <laughs> yeah. So was it was the Pistols kind of like a gateway into punk then? Did you go yeah, into like the Buzzcocks and things like that and... Yeah, but it, it was definitely definitely Sex Pistols because then sort of like you go looking a little bit backwards and obviously you try and keep up to date with everything then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were going to you were going to like the, the Pro Blades and gentlemen for those that are uh, listening from not not based in, in the northwest. There's a wonderful uh, record store. There was there's quite a few sort of still in existence. Uh, it was a wonderful store. I remember, uh, you know, Probe being all, all kinds of little things they used to do. I remember buying when one of the first CDs I bought was from Probe, and they put, like, stamps on the CDs and stuff like that. It was just right. real – it's a wonderful place, Probe. Like, yeah, it's still going, right, isn't it? Probe's still going. It's uh, while yeah, it's, it's in a different form now, like, you know, compared to where mm. it was. Um, I obviously – every every Saturday we walk in there, and behind the counter was obviously Mr. Pete Burns was there. He worked, he worked yeah. behind the counter. Um, yeah, yeah. And I remember, I remember a few times uh, walking into Probe, buying. I remember distinctly buying three records one Saturday, giving him them, took them off. He looked at me, said, "Don't know why you're buying them. <laughs> Two of them are shite." <laughs> <laughs> it's very <laughs> beat, yeah. Shite, yeah. And I said, I told him, just said, "Oh, fuck off! You're not buying them anyway." You know, just yeah. like straight back. And he liked the attitude. So every now and again, we'd have a little like chat behind, you know, 
obviously he was in all his makeup and his de rigueur, as they call it. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He's a very fine boy guy, but he's got what an ego. Yeah. People, people forget that, that you know. Before you could go, you went online and bought the records you wanted to listen to, or even went to your local HMV or whatever and bought a CD or a supermarket and bought a CD. You would go to a record store, and the guy or girl behind the, the counter would give you an opinion. You would go up with three or four <laughs> records, and they would say, it's shit. Like, you might be thin, but they would go, yeah, you don't want that album. You want... They were gatekeepers. They were like, oh, you, you don't listen to Green Day. You want to listen to, like, the, the Stiff Little Fingers, you know. They yeah, would go with these yeah. gatekeepers. You had to almost defend your purchase. I remember being in Skelly's, Skeleton Records. I love that place. And buying, who was it? It might have been Kiss. I think it was Kiss Alive. And, uh, and, and, and having to almost defend it to three other people in the shop as I was buying it, while I was, yeah. I was buying it. That was, it was, but it was because... And we'll get around to this because it was a conversation that we had the last time I think we saw each other where you talk about going on a Saturday to buy a record, you know, all week working or whatever or saving up your pocket money or whatever it may be, going to the record shop with your clutch with your money and picking out a record and buying it. It was a whole experience of doing that. You take the record back. You couldn't hear it straight away. You would take the record back. You would sit there. There was a whole ceremony of, of listening to the to the record and fully immerse yourself in the record. And I think one of the things that we were talking about the last time we we spoke at, at, a, at a venue, I was talking about how we've lost that a little bit, if not totally, and um, that whole sort of sanctity of of, of 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 buying music. It was a shopping trip. It was like mm. going to the supermarket, but you were actually going just purposely yeah. to go and buy records and whatever. You know, nowadays it's easy. You sit there. And if you if you're still into if you're still like into the vinyl or whatever you buy now, it's um it's it 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 was a shopping trip. We used to go Saturday lunchtime. We would come home to tea time, and we like where Probe was in town. Uh, there was the Rumbelows over the road. There was Nems at the back of the shop, which was in the cellar. Um, and yet yeah, they used to do some amazing records down there. You know, like uh, like punk and rock and all that sort of stuff. So we'd walk backwards and forwards waiting for them to get their delivery in. You know, because we we knew they used to get them in Saturday afternoon, yeah. but we didn't know what yeah. time it was. So we'd be walking yeah. backwards and forwards, waiting for the first shot in. You know, so we bought yeah. some gems. You know, first off, like cutting the box open. Yeah, like, well, we'd be, we'd be it, it, there's, like there's, there's the story of like uh, the Beatles and stuff getting a lot of their um, U.S. singles from uh, sailors who would come over and they'd, and they'd buy singles off them. There was this like kind of almost underground network of buying, getting a, a single Chuck Berry single or a whatever, you know, a Wilson Pickett's a single or something like that. And they would go and listen. I love that how almost like kind of limited because everything's so accessible now and, and you can listen to a rare B side at the click of a button, having to find it and then finding it is, is just makes it all the more precious. That thing when you actually find it, you know? Yeah. I think we've maybe I think we've maybe lost that then you know, I think we've because now you I can listen to an album at the, the touch of a button we've maybe uh, you don't really need feel the need to sit down with an album and go okay I don't get it at first or it doesn't kind of blow me away but I'll listen to it I'll listen to it I'll listen to it I'll get into it now it's yeah. like if I don't get into it in the first couple of moments I'm not going to get into it at all we've maybe that's definitely changed listening habits, I think. Well, I, I remember listening to your, your show with Joe Mortimer and I was going, you, you passed on yeah. that comment straight away. You said, you yeah. know, music's so disposable nowadays. Uh, kids mm. don't have record collections. They just don't. They just don't. No. 
everything in Spotify or online or whatever, you know, so they can listen to it once, don't like it, just like, they never listen to it again, you know, it's it's very disposable, and, we, and yeah, and te- you know, sort of attention spans are so short now as well, if you actually buy something, you're going to give it a chance because you spent your money on it, so exactly, you have it, that's yeah. the difference, you know, so, yeah, uh, it, things have changed completely. The, 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 I think the, the example I give when talk, talking to Joe was, but I've got a copy of Miles Davis's Bitches Brew, which I know because uh, all the uh, people who, who have any weight in music tell me is a seminal piece of work. It's a seminal piece of music. Uh, it's a seminal album. And every couple of months I will put it on and it's like wading through treacle. I don't understand it. I know it's good, but it, I, it, it just dwarfs my mind. I can't get my head around it. Like listening to John Coltrane and stuff like that, it's it's Complex. too big. It's I can't quite get you know. Eventually, I'll crack it and I'll start to get into it. I did the same with Zappa, for example. It, it was so musically dense, it took a while to get into. Maybe that that whole process is lost by someone who goes, "Oh well, I don't get it straight away. That's that's it. I'm never going to listen to that again," and puts it yeah. to the side. Like you know, and I definitely think we've lost a bit of that. Did you find then? There was people. Uh, was a particular artist that you would you gravitated to when you were buying records. Now, or was it a genre, or was it a band, or what was it that you sort of well, you well, bought it, everything by? Well, obviously, obviously, like you're always you're always looking out for like anything, like imports or whatever. Mm. Yeah, Sex Pistols because they were your first choice. But then there was there was there were other bands, you know, like Stranglers, Buscocks, you know, the the bigger punk bands. But we used to we used to like I used to listen to a lot of uh, John Peel. I was a John Peel yes. I used to listen to his yes. shows regularly, and his shows were so all over the place. That's one minute you're listening to like you know German industrial techno, and the next mm. thing you listen to Brazilian flute music. It's, it's madness. So his shows are incredible. Uh, yeah. But we you used to always try and write down things that you heard and things you liked. Yeah. Funny enough, I never liked the undertones. No, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bangers, you know, I couldn't get into the undertones at all. <laughs> it's uh, it's funny you mentioned John Peel. Actually, like you know, John John Peel is he's for me he's he's up there as being one of those musical gatekeepers. I mean, I often talk to people who don't know John Peel. Isn't you would you, you know, God forgive you if you didn't know. You should really look him up. But it's when at at his height when he was uh, he was a radio DJ. For those that aren't aware, he was advertised above Hendrix on the flyer. That's how you know. That's how big Peel was, and 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 then in his later years, his um, listening, his his kind of listening things, he's had a voracious appetite for music. He would go in the halls in, in, in down the radio show and go, "What's new in Indian music? What's new in Bangra? What's going on?" He would. He had yeah. this voracious appetite for great music. I saw his um, when he got his fellowship at uh, 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 at the uh, John Moore's. He um, he did a speech which was brilliant talking about how he had no education and he still managed to do okay and afterwards i met him and got the chance to tell him i was like thanks for playing napalm death that you know he used to play lots of napalm death at one point and he but what was interesting is he didn't seem at all surprised and he looked at me always funny he was like but it's really good so i i I got into and he would like follow the he would get into one band and then get every single thing by that band he would suck it all up and then spew it out on this radio show and it just became for me certainly the same it became required listening because it wasn't any genres it was just like the best of music it was this is what you need to be hearing this is what's great at the moment and i think that that you know there's not too many people doing that we've lost radio stations almost entirely now haven't we um, well, the, they've the, almost the, kind of the internet's almost destroyed that 
Well, the radio shows nowadays don't tend to be too specialised. You obviously get specialised mm. shows and what have you. But the likes of the likes of John Peel um, is is just. I mean, it's legendary. I mean, he used to actually go physically searching for the music, which not many people do. I suppose the likes you get the likes of Giles Peterson nowadays. He'll do sort of similar. Um, you know, they go physically searching for music that people would sweep their ears. Funny enough, it's John Peel. Is his autobiography is incredible. Man goes yeah. to Masters. Have you read it? I haven't, no, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of course. all time. Uh, well. he, he, he didn't finish it when he died. Um, right. His, his daughter finished it off for him. And uh, it tells you about it, that his life, life story and, and it goes through his musical, what he went through music, playing Glastonbury. And it's one of the best stories I've ever heard in my life or read was, was yeah. John Peel turning up at Glastonbury with his box of music. And he turned up. And he went on stage, he said, right, okay, I'm here to do me set or whatever, you know, on, on, on Glastonbury's, like, pyramid stage or whatever. And there was no turntables. So what they did was Michael Evis had to, had to sort of cart a, a, um, a stereo radiogram thing from his house all the way to the stage. And they put a mic on, on the speaker. And that's I what he played it. his set on. on the phone. I love it. I <laughs> love that. I love that. On, that. on, the, on the stage, it's amazing. But they don't do that shit now. I've I've done some weird stuff with their uh, with <laughs> with their uh, instruments, my strap and snare drums to bar stools and stuff. But you know, I've never done yeah. that sort of stuff now. <laughs> well, that's like that. You talk in the wild west, and you know, you forget like as well. You know, Michael Evis. I talk. I met Michael Evis at Glastonbury and said to him, I said, you know, he's got he's got a huge heart. Like this all started from someone letting him on his on. He let a load of people on his farm. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's just like. It's crazy. It's like, it's like me going, come to, come to my backyard now and play a show. And, and that's how it started. Now. Like, yeah, you know, and it would just, <laughs> what a great thing. And, you know, and, and kind of learn to move with the business. You know, yeah. he, he was just as okay with, 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 with the bands that were on. He, he knew who Dizzy Rascal was in the same way he knew Fleetwood Mac was. Real good sort of vibe for music and his daughter as well. Like, you know, it's hugely important. I think probably one of the only people who's doing... A similar thing to John Peel at the moment is Henry Rollins just does a radio show and he collects vinyl and okay. he does a very similar thing to, to John Peel. Uh, it talks a little bit about the record and then puts it on. I, I'd suggest checking that out. He's got a, a show on, on, on Berlin, on a Berlin radio show and that's really good. Uh, really deep cuts. A lot of punk on there as well, obviously being in Black Flag, but he was yeah. a huge fan of like Buzzcots and, and, and The Damned and, and things like right. that. So at this stage... At this stage, are you go into shows. Then, what? When does it make the, the leap from um, you know picking up records and listening to them to seeing live? Well, I was I, I was actually weirdly lucky enough to go to like shows really really early. Again, the same guy, the same mate's brother, who sort of uh, got me into punk in the first place. He was sort of well connected in town, you know, through mm. like Eric's and all the the gig venues and stuff. And yeah. I went to my first punk gig when I was eleven. Wow, I love it. I love <laughs> right, it. He, had, he had two spare tickets for me, right, Brian and me. And um, he, he said to me, he said, you know, do you and Brian want to go sort of thing? So I had to tell me mum, right? Mum, I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be home later sort of thing. You'd all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, who are you going with? I said, oh, no, my Brian's brother. And she went, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> That's it. And, and, you know, for the life of me, I can't even remember who it was. I can't wow. remember either, but who, who the, the lineup was. I just can't remember because I was so overawed. I, I yeah. sort of to the side at the back of the way where all the madness went on because it was scary. I'll be yeah, yeah. It was like, 
I mean, we've done so, I've done some, I've done some gigs myself and worked with, with a few, but mm. never to the point where they're jumping up and down and piles and spitting at each other. Now it was, it was a bit like well, because there know? was a, a, a lot of stuff that kind of got brought in from the punk days was stuff that people had never seen before. So no, pokering, which wrong. for those that aren't aware, is essentially jumping wildly on the spot. But it was never done before that. It was like Lemmy said, you know, there was a time before rock and roll and, and the dancing was all very kind of like couples dancing and, and swinging yeah. and that type of thing. <laughs> poker was like people jumping, that actively that trying to, yeah, actively trying to jump into each other. And then you had people spitting on, on people. Now, oh, for those that don't right. baby know, it was it was an affectionate thing. So back then, if you were very good as a, as a punk band, the crowd would spit on you. Jules Holland talks about this all the time. The crowd yeah. would spit on you. And it was a sign of affection rather than, you know, if, if you were if you were shite. And, and but these were like new things. Weren't they bad? People weren't seeing this. People weren't going to a show and getting a bloody nose. They, they didn't expect this. That must have been mind blowing at that age to see that. Exciting though, but mind blowing. Crazy stuff. Uh, it was uh, so yeah, so we went from that. Can then to be honest with you, it, it, it like it, that happened sort of for, for about maybe two or three times or something like that. Mm. Um and then I didn't do another gig then till like sort of when I was about 15, 16 or something like that. We ended up going to the Royal Court. Oh, um, I can't remember. I, I can't remember who that was either. <laughs> <laughs> I still, you know what? Right, I'll be honest with you now. I mean, I've done that many gigs and that many bands now. Sometimes yeah. I forget who I've seen who I've worked with. It but gets but, but in your defence, in your defence. I think it's because at the times you were going to see the bands, it was more for the event of going yeah, to definitely. see a band yeah. rather I than the was, actual band itself. There was the odd, there was the odd time when you knew you were going to see stuff. You know, Echo and the Bunny Men—they were always a massive favourite of mine. I used to, got into them later on. Um, yeah. they're obviously the second best Liverpool band in history behind the Beatles. No one can argue with the Beatles. I hate the I hate people who say, "Oh, the Beatles are overrated and this, that, and the other." It's bollocks. Let's face yeah, it, you know, yeah. they're all in it for the yeah. ego and all, the, all together yeah. reaction, I think, sometimes, you know, I think it's a bit stupid. I mean, every, yeah. God knows, God knows without, without what they did and, and how they got on with things, um, where we'd be now with recording or whatever, even mm. recording methods and stuff. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, Echo and the Bunny Man were a massive favourite of mine because um, Ian McCulloch is basically uh, what Liam Gallagher has been trying to do for years. Yeah, hi. That's incredibly valid. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have the Stone Roses, you wouldn't have Oasis, no, you wouldn't have course. the whole movement if it wasn't for, for, for that, like, you know, things like not that and Icicle Works and stuff like that. You, you wouldn't have that. No. Um, and, yeah, I think you're right. I think they probably massively... I mean, the people that love them um, really love them. Um, but I think the, a lot of people pass them by, unfortunately, Echo and the Bunny Men. And, uh, you know, we, you know, Scousers and stuff are rightly proud of um, of 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 the Beatles as they should be as important as they are, and it's a shame that sometimes maybe Bunny Men don't get the love that they deserve. Like you know, I think they're incredibly important to certainly sort of songwriting and then it, that, that movement into kind of electronica and that type of thing. They were kind of the, the first sort of catalysts for that. So do you remember these the, the shows that you do remember the bands that you do remember seeing? Do you remember like? Um, did how the shows were kind of played out and by that i mean like this is pre-barriers isn't it this is pre kind of the yeah, security uh, we have yeah. now it's pre all that isn't it yeah but when you get your arms are on the front of the stage you're just yeah. like leaning in you can you can actually put your arms on the stage and 
you know, God knows if they like start trembling your fingers or whatever, you know, because it's yeah. it was all a bit crazy. But uh, no, well, that's, yeah, that's you, you, where you would you, you, you would literally plonk yourself on front to be wires and shit, and you would sit yeah. and le- you can see old right. videos of Thin Lizzy playing in the rainbow and shit, and people are leaning on there. It's it's yeah. amazing, it's it's mad. I love it. It's mind blowing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's dangerous. <laughs> but it's like yeah, well, it's, no it's, it's it's good. To, What's no that? Sorry, there's no gate. Say there's a, a, a push in the back. There's no way yeah. to go, and you're gonna get crushed. Madness. Yeah. I think that's why yeah. Barry isn't there because it's just getting a bit madness, on it. Yeah, it looked. I think Barry <laughs> started to uh, in 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 the in Europe and um, for a lot of the venues, and then I know that Rockham Ring was one of the first sort of ones that adopted it, and I think some of the stuff came from football as well. Obviously, you know uh, some of the tragedies that happened within football about crowd controls and stuff that kind of bled over to live music and it's probably for the best, but there is a part of me that loves seeing Donington in like the eighties where it's just a field of people and there's bonfires going off and, the, and there's just, just no barriers at all. There's a part of me that loves that, that loves that. But I, I guess we can't have that anymore. That's why we can't have nice things anymore, you know? So no. when you go to these shows now, um, are you kind of see, are you making the connection from the recorded music to the live music? And by that I mean, are you go are you listen to the record and then go right? I need to see this person live and then go in to see them live. Um, sort of, yeah. I mean, later on, obviously, like because you know you, you, you're getting towards the like the end <laughs> of school, you're getting towards fifteen, sixteen, and you've, mm-hmm. you've left school and you're getting your first job and your money's getting spent on obviously on music and that. But obviously, like you're starting to look into like uh, the lineups in gig venues and stuff and find oh I like them, I like the look of them and going to all these like different shows and that. Um and then you find the discos and beer and stuff, you know. <laughs> so there's that on top of everything else. It's just a complete like mishmash of the early eighties, you know. Yeah. Which which sort of camp did you come from in the well, dressing up? Where were you then? No, no. Which where do we come from? <laughs> <laughs> Don't start trying to makeup on me mate honestly <laughs> and I've if you can show us some pictures guy. ladies and gentlemen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at this stage when you go into shows and stuff like that what do you remember the first time you were properly blown away when you went to see an act and it and it was almost like a religious experience where it's like it's the, you're completely blown away yes it was uh bowie david bowie oh shit uh went to see bowie in 84 Five was it? <laughs> Something like okay. that. And uh, completely stood there with mouth open, just like yeah. can't believe this is going on. I mean, before that, I mean, yeah. there's, there's been obviously like those moments when you know bands play your favourite tracks, and you know you yeah. dance and you get swept away and all that. But there's a few like fall on the floor moments and when you're drunk and yeah. stuff. But no, certainly like, uh, when you literally stood, you physically stood there. I was stood there in a field and literally stood there with mouth open. I, I yeah. couldn't believe. No, it's the greatness you're watching. Oh, yeah. The guy's talent. He wasn't just an artist, a songwriter, mm. a performer. And, mm. uh, the guy is like, a, he's like an all-time hero of mine, obviously, like, like yeah. so many yeah. people of others, and he's influenced so many people as well. And mm. uh, again, like like the, like the likes of sort of, the, you know, I'm not sure that he even gets the recognition he deserves. Such a, such a um, massive, yeah. massive star he was because he changed his personality. I mean, there's there's, the, there's mm. a few documentaries about him who go go through like his old history and stuff, 
I think. Mm. I think there was one called Five, five something or other. Five. Yeah. I can't remember he, that one. He, and it goes yeah. through his five stages of his like his career mm. and whatever, and what he changed his personalities, you know. Yeah. And um, it's like, <laughs> I find it incredible that he managed to sort of change and make massive like you know influences in everybody in all these different like eras in his life. Well, the, 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 like, I think Bowie gets his, he gets his recognition for being a recognised genius, and that, that that word gets banded around, but it, with, with, with Bowie, it's definitely a genius. But it, I think right behind that is how just how fucking brave he was with all of those moves. You think when he was with Ziggy and the, and the Spiders, yeah, and at yeah. the height, literally, and I mean at the height of their fame, when they were literally, everybody wants to know what they were doing. They could have gone and played... The next three decades, the same stuff, and Noel would have said shit. He goes yeah. on stage and goes, this is the last show that, that, that Ziggy's going to be playing, the Spider's going to be playing, and then changes the bravery yeah. to do that move. Just throws it in the bin and just, right, go, let's go again. Unbelievable <laughs> to have that much faith in your own ability, to be that sort of brave and fearless. And yeah. um, I, I remember reading about how a couple of months before on the Glass Spider tour, he what he he did he'd done all the pre-production for it and he didn't like it and he was like do you know what we're going to bin it all and we're going to change it and do everything differently and, ch- and 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 you think fuck i'd probably cost a fortune but to be that brave we i don't know if we will create an artist like that anymore now because artists now are trying to look for their brand what what works for them their look or whatever it may be and they're going to stay with that and ride that all the way through the career. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you want to be like the longer career people, like Bowie and the Stones and that type of thing, you have to be ready to do have a certain amount of reinvention with each sort of generation to for yeah. them to kind of buy into. Yeah, you're gonna if you really want to be great, you know, if you really want to be great, it's like I was watching um, about Madonna. Um, Madonna's a very good example. You know, I'm not going to say that Madonna's a genius. I don't necessarily think she is. But she's certainly pretty damn fearless from changing her the way she is as she moves through her career. I think pretty pretty fearless, and it's probably gave her longevity. The thing that Bowie had though is he had that longevity, but he also was like you say, an artist. Uh, you yeah. know, he, he truly saw music as an art form. Definitely, um, and to be honest, it does not mean anybody. If, if anybody there is, I, I, I couldn't put my finger on. Anybody mm. that's come close ever since, to be fair. No. I mean, even his final no, album, that Black, Star albums, that Black Star yeah. album was incredible. You know, a credible piece of work. Mm. And he obviously mm. knew he was going to go because a lot of, like, the lyrics yeah. and the way that music was, like, evolved about him actually just disappearing off the planet. Yeah. <laughs> you just think, like, he, final he, episode, he kind of... Like, you know, what, what a beautiful life and a beautiful career he had yeah, when you look at all of his body of work. That's an enviable body of work. He he never... Lo- I mean, there was a little bit during the 80s where he, it's, it's someone photographed him and it looked like he was doing a Nazi salute and he wasn't. He was just raising yeah. his arm, but whatever. You know, but he, he never, never looked stupid, never said anything stupid, always high quality for music, always pretty regular with his music. There was gaps, but there's pretty regular with the music. Always good. I mean, he gave Steve Ray Vaughan a, a you know a really big platform. He gave you know yeah. Adrian Bielu and and Robert Fripp and stuff like that. He gave them all platforms because one of the things that probably gets overlooked with Bowie quite a lot is he was a great um, finder of talent and finding what someone did like Tony Lewin on bass and stuff. And he used to find these amazing people and and find a way to bring his world and bring them in it. And that's a real skill as well. I'm a big fan of people that do that. Zappa used to do that a lot. I'm, that's why I'm a big fan of Zappa. 
Well, he, he, Bowie was also like a, a multi-instrumentalist. Mm. About, he could play guitar, piano. He was uh, yeah. played saxophone. He probably probably turned into an awful lot of stuff, that, you know. But um, multi-instrumentalist like uh, like the likes of Prince, uh, you can also turn that into Prince. Again, exactly, so yeah, the same. You know, yeah, Prince, yeah. Prince, sort of like again, he was a magnificent guitarist. He's one of the superb. best guitarists on the planet. Very underrated. You know, I've ever heard him. Like some of his solos yeah. are amazing. You know, um, yeah. um, another one that's gone too soon, obviously, for a lot of people. Mm. You know, it's well for me as well. I loved his music, but. Um, again, it, it, it's, his music was attached to an image, you know, and mm. he, he created the image. He didn't get to change it too much because mm. he had what he was happy and he was comfortable with it. <laughs> I think his, I think, yeah, Prince was a little different. When he, Prince was more of like, uh, his image was, he's Prince, was his yeah. image. And, and you know, and I, well, I remember he'd like... A little pattern on his face or something and call him that. Yeah, it's like that when Bob's cried. So I remember hearing the guitar player at the beginning of that and thinking, "What? That's not a metal guy, because that's like that's oh, that's yeah. shredding. He he, he can yeah. pr- he can properly play. He's a hugely talented uh, guitar player. And it, it, I wonder, I do wonder if we are missing these people. We're never going to get another Prince. We're never going to get a Bowie. But I wonder who's taking their place musically. You know, it's it's it, it. The list seems to be not as easy to pick from now. Like you know, no. Well, th- 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 now I'm gonna I'm gonna mention someone now. I'm not a massive fan of, but what he what mm. he said in this day, it, it was it was perfectly good. It was Noel Gallagher who said recently? He said there are no more stadium rock bands. There are yeah. no new he bands might, at might, all. He might be right. Um, yeah. And if you think about it, which were the best? Which in the last ten years, or mm. even fifteen years, you could say you could say are the the new stadium rock bands that are worth yeah. saying. The like stadium. Well, there's, there's two um there's two sorts of things i want to just quickly run off on here the first yeah, one is apparently um according to ricky gervais um one of the last sort of performances that bowie did was singing that little uh <laughs> song he did on the show live because apparently ricky gervais did yeah. play like madison square garden or somewhere and bowie's his mate now and bowie comes out to introduce him and he sings that like but that was his last performance isn't that crazy that was like Amazing, his last performance the other sort of reason i want to go is that is is the reason we're maybe not creating rock stars and this is a pretty expansive question but it's because it's too you can't be risky or push the edges of the envelope enough now no. in order to be successful you have to be almost sort of fit into a way before you could become successful and then it becomes almost impossible to shed those clothes yeah it's i think nowadays i think i think that as you're back to the old like the music industry's changed and mm. music being so disposable um, yeah. you're getting like you know it's all it, a, a lot of the music industry is all image based as well now if you don't look good you're not going to fit um, yeah. so you can't be an ugly rock star anymore shit like wider the mark so lemmy wouldn't happen you know because mm. <laughs> yeah. he wasn't yeah it's crazy when you think about it yeah yeah because <laughs> it was no, it was like you know god god loved them but i don't think a lot of people would said that members of pink floyd were particularly beautiful no, people like happen. you know and he think they would say that as well you know no, that's crazy true. like you know i think I think there's definitely, uh, there's probably a new breed of rock star. What that looks like, I don't know. I think comedy is probably doing it at the moment. Like, so someone like Dave Chappelle is 
the that rock star equivalency in in comedy and we will find it, it music kind of often runs a lot quite parallel <laughs> with comedy sometimes you'll find that now like we didn't we didn't know care Cobain came before he came along there will be someone who comes along because there's always going to be there's always going to be a lemmy there's always going to be a motorhead that's someone that's kicking back from what you're being forced to listen to and yeah. and, and the produ- produced clean side of it because life isn't really like that and life isn't perfect. It isn't clean. Um, it isn't beautiful at times. And people want to see that resonated in the music. And it will It will return. The last band I saw that had a really good shout at an arena show, believe it or not, was Muse. I watched their arena show and thought that that was actually a pretty good example of how to do an arena show. A big, <laughs> huge, 20,000. Yeah, and I thought that I, I thought songs, there was, there was a good clutch of songs there. I thought there was something interesting going on. It was very artistic. I liked it a lot, and that was probably the closest to come to thinking, okay, yeah, and maybe the, the torch is being handed over to a, to a greater or lesser degree. Here's a question, though: Did you, did you ever think about picking up an instrument yourself? <laughs> right. Okay. You Just did yet? Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, back in school, I've done like the, you know you do the uh, the music aptitude test in school, don't you? Where you yeah. get like you know that 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 machine that gives you the two tones. And you go, yeah. there's one higher than the other, and you go, it's there, yeah. you know, and all that business. Well, I happen to you don't know, but they used well, to, yeah, yeah. I got 99% on that, right? Okay. So, I, so I can hear a different tone, I can hear different tones. Um, yeah. So anyway, the music teacher drags me into her office, you know, not in a, not in a nasty way. Um, yeah. But um, so she sits me down, she says, well, you know, have you thought about playing an instrument? I said, yeah, I said, I'd love to play an instrument. I said, I'd really like to play piano which I'd love to have done. Okay. She went, fuck you, here's a trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> threw a trumpet in my hand. I had a fucking trumpet. I had a trumpet for about a month and I blew it about three times. Yeah. Like, you know what, I'm just not into this. It's shit. I can't be doing it. So I threw it right. And ever since then, I haven't touched an instrument since. Isn't um, that a crap? I've got a musical ear, but I just can't. I just yeah, clearly. And I'm, clearly, and I'm you've got it. You've got physically, physically jealous of a lot of people I see. And you can imagine the number yeah. of people I see. Yeah, you play, see that many music play an instrument. Yeah. And I was like, wow. and I'm just standing there with my mouth. I'm going, you are fucking, so good at this. What a fucking tragedy that if she just <laughs> said, well, tell you what, we'll set you up with this keyboard in and away you go. You could have been fucking Rick Wakeman. You could have been. <laughs> yeah, it, I just, that's one of the problems, I think, in, in schools is that is the art is so throwaway now. It's so like, well, we've got this kid. He's got He's got a great ear. Um, well, we've only got a trumpet. That's all we got left. There's not enough money, so <laughs> you know, how many musicians are we fucking stifling and, and killing? And and it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, the art has it tough enough as it is in school. Let alone you get some fucking music teacher giving you an instrument. You just what the fuck? I remember this. I said I, told this to, I said the same story to Joe where um, the one of the first lessons I had. They would. They made us draw people from like the Victorian times and and mid uh, and that type of thing, and playing instruments. And I was like, this is not music at all. I've got a. a, a while I was cleaning stuff out as part of the lockdown, I found a a, a a book. I'll have to dig it out and put pictures up online. And it's got a musical um like each sort of thing like geography and French and music or whatever. It's got like a little statement and a grade and whatever. Yeah. And uh, on the music one, I think it says, I'll try and paraphrase, I think it says something along the lines of, uh, Mark has absolutely no aptitude towards music. And I was like, 
you know? I went on tour for fucking several years and it fucking paid for most of the things I have in, in my house. Like, but it's just it's just interesting how people don't recognise that. But it's it's obviously you've got the magic ears, you know. Uh, for those who are listening, uh, the reason, the, probably the biggest reason we're, we're, we're talking to Ian is Ian is, um, for one of better explanation, a sound guy. He's the guy that kind of you know, helps a band live and makes that sound and realization of that and kind of you know, it's sound guys <laughs> often overlooked in the, as it being a vital part of a live music venue. We talked about this with Joe, as as ladies and gentlemen will we'll, uh, listen back, will re- we'll understand. We talked about how the live scene isn't just the artists that play, it's the venue that supports them, it's the people that help that happen, the techs and people like Ian, who's, who's the sound guy. So when, I mean, we might be jumping a little bit here, but when did you start to think about doing stuff with sound? Was it when you started to, you were doing, we were talking about this previously yesterday, about being a DJ and stuff like that. Was it that when you started to kind of lean into that? Well, that started a roadie with me, mate. Uh, he, had a, oh. he, was, he, was a, he was a DJ and did weddings and stuff. So he used sure. to cart, rap, cart speakers and lights and set things up and repair speakers. And that's how I sort of got into like the background of everything, how to learn how to use sound systems and what have you. Mm. And uh, he had a really good sound system as well, Carl. Uh, Carl, Carl Roscoe, his name was. Um, so we did shows for a number of years and weekends and that you now. Uh, where's the, to the point where, like, you know, he could sort of back the trailer and I can literally go and set the whole thing up myself and look at the venue. Mm-hmm. And that, it, it, just the management of the whole thing. Um, so after that, um, I decided to go out on my own. And this was, this was God, mid to late 80s, I think it was. So then we got into the early 90s and I got into the, the rave scene. Um, I was right, DJing. Yeah. I DJed and I got picked up by uh, an agent and I was uh, DJing not much in Liverpool. It was always down south or up north or wherever, all over the place sort of thing. Um, didn't care, paid an awful lot of money for it. Um, <laughs> all I did basically was drive my mates around in the back of an old BT van and I'd get them tickets for the for the gig. So they'd, get all, <laughs> they'd all get in for nothing. Um, and then we'd all just like, you know, smash around in the back of a van and stuff like them. Um, yeah, memorable days, what we can remember of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so did you, did, did, when, they, when they put the agency picked you up, did you were you going out doing shows or were you based on a radio station or what was the deal? No, I was just playing, playing in muddy fields. Playing in wow. muddy fields, you know, the illegal yeah. rave in the middle of the like the very early, late 80s, early yeah. 90s. And, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, I'd be stood in, stood in mud playing records. Yeah. Um, to however number of people I was still studying. And that's that's like <laughs> that's like going to the gym for a sound guy, isn't it? Yeah, doing yeah. those type of shows and being on the run, if you will, like you know, being gorilla kind of setups and all that. That's kind of like the that's your almost your apprenticeship to becoming a, a sound guy, you know, because yeah, you're learning all different power levels and and that type of thing and all the different conditions that go on and all this type of stuff. You learn all these kind of crazy things it's like going to the gym for for a sound guy and yeah. you you might have not realized it when you started off but you were getting that hardened skin if you will to traveling sleeping in vans you know it not being perfect shit sound setups and all that type of stuff and you build this like kind of experience so when did it like because we were talking about this off pod when did it get it sounds like it got pretty serious when you were going onto the radio and stuff and you were doing a lot of stuff with that that's when it sounds really interesting to me Right. Well, what happened was, I was while I was DJing, what happened was I was DJing in a bar in St. Helens. 
um, in fluid in St. Helens. And um, well, no, I can't remember what the street's called now. Anyway, uh, the manager came up to me, knowing, knowing what I know, and said to me, I'm thinking about setting up a live venue upstairs. In the, it's an old pool hall. Yeah. So he took me upstairs and there was pool tables everywhere. And he said, well, he said, well, you're going to have to clear this lot out. Like, you know. So anyway, he was dead serious about it. What he did was he cleared all, all everything out, put a proper wooden floor in, put a stage in, the whole thing. And he said to me, he said, uh, can you put a, a sound system in for us? And this, that, and the other, that we can put bands in. So put a sound system in, put the stage box in, um, so, I will stop you every so often here because there will be okay. some people who are listening who some of these terms they may think they know what they are but they, <laughs> they don't know what they are so what is a stage box for the uninitiated right. a stage box is like basically it's a big fat cable but it's about it's about a thing about it looks like a hose pipe but there's mm. like loads of little cables in it right so on the stage you'll have like a, like a, like a black box and it'll have loads of socks Whatever, we've got. Yeah. Are you still there? Still there. Keep going, talking, well, mate. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's okay. too good. Um, <laughs> um, so what I said, then that cable gets run over the over the top of the, the over the ceiling or on hooks or whatever, right back to the desk at the back of the room, um, and then all, every single all the the the, um, the holes on the stage will have numbers on it one to sixteen, and I'll have plugs on the other end numbered one to sixteen. And they plug into your, your desk one to sixteen on the channels or whatever. Um, so then you can operate basically sort of like from the stage from the back of the room. That's what mm. stage box does. It, it, it's essentially like the like when you if you go to a show and it, there's no one there and there's normally like these like big large thick cables normally in the middle of the room for the most part. Yeah. They're sometimes covered with metal things so people can walk over them. That's the umbilical cord between the stage box and the stage, and basically yeah. that's how you, you talk between the two. But yeah, so you, you, he'd ask you to set that up, and he'd ask you, he'd got all the floor, and he'd, yeah. he'd, it sounds like you put a lot of time and effort into the venue. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it sort of took me, like, you know, a, a, a couple of weeks, you know, here and there, to set the venue up. So I said to him, he said, we're all up and running, we're getting, everything's all fixed up and stuff. And he said, uh, he said, okay. He said, um, he said, he said, what, do you know any bands or stuff? I said, well, no, so I'm a DJ, I don't know bands. Yeah. I, know, I know nothing about bands. Yeah. So we got this. He got this other guy in. Uh, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, I'll think of his name in a minute. Anyway, he, he was a promoter. And he managed to book a few bands and what have you. Uh, and then the manager said, "Well, said what I'll do is, I said I'll put a DJ on downstairs and you can work upstairs." I said, "Well, I know nothing about mixing a band because it's not DJing. It it's is not. not DJing." And yeah. people need to understand that it is a completely different kettle of fish. It's a different it? discipline entirely. Absolutely. Entirely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. Think, think you're just you're just playing music and fiddling a few fiddling with knobs as I can as I tell yeah. people. Um, yeah. no, you don't fiddle with knobs, there's a lot more to it, obviously. So like, mm. you know, you you you'll have your microphones plugged into number one, three and one, two, three and four or whatever. So you've got the sliders on your desk of one, two, three, and four, and they incorporate your microphones, and you mess around with EQs and all that sort of thing. So you don't start whistling, and you can hear them and stuff. So you've got all yeah. this going on at the same time as the drum. All the drums are plugged into your desk and everything, and you're basically mixing it live so it all sounds as well as it can do. You know? Yeah. Um, so early doors, you know, fought your way through it. A few whistles here and there. 
Um, well, because like at, at this stage as well, people people that maybe like are kind of new to sound. And certainly, we have a lot of people who listen who are who are who are sound guys and producers who who are maybe fully aware of this. But there's a there's an alchemy to getting a great mix, and yeah. there's so many fucking variables. It's unbelievable. So here's the thing for you, ladies, ladies and gentlemen: you can have a venue, and the sheer geography of the venue affects the sound. Sounds obvious, yeah. right? Of course. Low ceilings, high ceilings, carpeted sides, uh, curtain sides, all these things play a part of it, of the sound. And that fluctuates, this before we get into anything else, that fluctuates with all the people that are in there. More That's people, right. less people, absorbs the sound. That fucks with it. This is before anybody's even struck a note and before anything with the terms of the equipment and mics and things that you're using. It becomes this massive game of chaos that you've got to kind of shackle to kind of yeah. pull to a mix it's incredibly difficult and people always like you know they always think i'm sure you get this a lot but uh, sound guys are always the there's always someone who can do it better there's always someone going oh yeah the drums sound this or the guitar doesn't sound oh, this God, yeah. I'm always told. no idea of how much <laughs> and how many the slightest churn of a slightest knob can fuck up everything else and it becomes a massive balancing yeah. act and um, that must have been pretty that sounds like the deep end that when he's like Okay, you're a DJ. Now you're a sound guy. You're thinking it's the same thing, and it ain't. And you, you, do you remember your first place. show? God. Do you remember your first show where you had to do it? Yeah, it was four, four punk bands. Um, okay. They, they sort of, what happened was the, the week before that first show, uh, yeah. I had, I had a, a mate who worked at uh, Park Studios in town, um, yeah. Park Street, and uh, I rang him and said, and you know what I'm doing with this shit? What yeah. the fuck am I going to do? Panic. And so he yeah. said to me, he said, right, okay. Uh, he got one of his mate's bands, he got them to come mm. up to the venue a couple of evenings in that week. Instead of them ah, practicing right. in their room, they come up to our place in St. Helens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, set their stuff up. And so he took me through it. You know, he done, he done the, a couple of gigs yeah. with this band and took me yeah. through what, you know, and then... Everything after that's ears and, and, and learning curves. and, and well, What you did then with the band. I mean, it's all self-taught. Yeah. People go to, to college and, and university, and sometimes people come into me saying, well, I'm doing this at university, and the sound and the sound. Think to me, you think back, you go, I would have loved to have done that in school or yeah. doing, you've gone to university to do that. Um, but, it, you know, I, I fell into it, and, and a lot of it is all about, like, sort of, you can you can only teach so much in in a classroom. Mm. Um, you get to a live venue, and uh, like you said, there's so many variables when you come to like sound checking in an empty room is ridiculous. It's, it's pointless because yeah, then the room essentially, fills with yeah, people. Yeah. The room fills mm. with people, and just like this massive sponge turns up. So you yeah, gotta, so literally got to alter everything anyway. By the time what you would what you would do with that with that band previously now that's called pre-production. What you were talking about now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a band. A big band goes on tour, ladies and gentlemen. They will take a venue and they will hire a venue out for maybe a week or so where they'll go through the, the show, essentially. They'll go through it and kind of check all the all the, all the screws are tight, if you will, and check everything's, uh, everything's done. The real skill, and that's why um, you know house engineers <laughs> and, and touring engineers are a real discipline because as a house engineer, you think, well, it's in your house, if you will, now, so there's no, you should know what you're doing. Yes, but it's a different band each time with different sort of colours to play with. And then as a touring sound guy, that's a different thing because it's the same band, but it's different venues. 
So yeah. it's a different discipline. But what you maybe were picking up, though, even though you you say, oh, I'd like to have gone to college and studied this and studied that, I would argue that potentially it, it, it was better the route you took as kind of you've almost learned the hard way. And right. it's sometimes better to learn the hard way. You know what I mean? But, it's sometimes better to do it because you, you learn pretty damn fucking quick. If the yeah, entire but, crowd looks at you when the sound goes down, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so do, what were those first lessons you learned to oh, sound guy well, and then work with bands? What were you learning? I don't think I don't think I ever had a sound system go down on me. I think I had a speaker go okay. down on me once. But mm. because of my old DJ days, I knew what to do, and it's just called the reroute. So what you mm. do is you basically plug your top speaker into the other top speaker. So at least you're getting sound out of everything. So you're still yeah. getting that. But that, that, again, that's just experience, I suppose. I'm not mm. sure that they'll actually teach you that. Um, yeah. it, obviously, you know, you've got to, like, sort of, when you do that, you've got to watch, like, you know, your, your impedances and you've got to back things off a little bit and whatever, you know. But again, you, you learn these things. Um, I, I tend to, when I, when I do sound, I mean, when I got sound, when I got the, the job of sound in St. Helens and stuff, it lasted about maybe... How long was I in St. Helens for after that? About maybe 18 months or something like that. And then the venue closed. Yeah. But it's actually the upstairs venue keeping the downstairs open. It was it was that busy upstairs that in the end the manager could like sort of decide, oh, can't be doing with this and shut the place. Um yeah. so I was at I was at I was at a loose end then. Um, yeah. so um I then sort of come in come into town. I ended up going mobile for a little while. So everything mm. I had, I was carrying around in the back of a car. I remember I had a oh. Fiesta. <laughs> to some of our American listeners and some of the countries, the Fiesta is not a large man. vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, By any stretch no. of the imagination. No, not at all. So no. so, so there was you, the odd you, time when I had to do a couple of trips, you know. With the so you, you go around, you're kind of mobile and, and you're doing this type of stuff like when did it when did it move to to the radio type of thing we were talking about okay right okay the radio thing come before before oh, right. doing the live sound it was sort of um it was a friday evening a mate of mine again the guy who was doing the, the djing with earlier carl carl was involved with the radio station i was on kcr in the heighton yeah um and he was involved and i said to him i said look the only thing you're missing here is it's like an old school dance music show which is what yeah. i used to do years ago in muddy fields yeah um there was one or two things but they were you know a little bit maybe a little bit more commercial or so i don't know anyway mm. i used to i said to him i managed to convince them to allow me to do a friday evening um from sort of like i think it was about seven till nine or something like that um mm. anyway um we started doing really pretty well listening wise and whatever you started doing okay because once people got onto it um, so then, anyway, it went from seven till ten, and then we sort of started involving Liverpool's underground, current underground scene, and what have you. We'd have uh, DJs in from all over, sort of Liverpool and the, the northwest sort of thing, coming in, playing live in the studio, um, doing sets live. And that, 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 they were walking in, and they were bags of nerves. A lot of them, they were like, because they were playing live, and they didn't want to fuck things up, you know. So there was no pre-recording. <laughs> it was this was it, and then you, you've yeah. got no no comebacks or whatever. Uh, yeah. they, they were good shows then. I, I, mean, I think I told you one about the, the, the drum and bass lap. Yeah, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the that Spoken Metal Show, where we're going to talk about drum and bass for a bit now. <laughs> so, you, yeah, but it, the story you were telling me about how um, 
they, they like several DJs all showed oh, up and you have to kind God. of marshal them around the room and that stuff. It's crazy, crazy night that was. It was there was a guy from record label and a people called Raw Recordings. And at the time, I didn't know, but drum and bass didn't get any airplay at all. It really didn't. Um, so I invited, and I can't again, I can't remember the guy's name. I, 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 in later point, I, it's not important. But anyway, basically. Hmm. These guys from Raw Recordings turned up. I think there was there was uh, there was three DJs and five MCs, and they were sort of taking turns on the microphone playing this crazy like drum and bass music. And uh, well, if you can imagine at like seven o'clock on a Friday evening, and they were <laughs> swearing. The, the, the language was incredible on air. You know, it really was. It was crazy. It was effing this, and you know, you can imagine <laughs> going to town with the, with the language and stuff. You know. Yeah. Anyway, I got dragged into the carpet, and on the carpet during the, the week after, he said, um, "It's not really satisfactory to have that much language on here. We've had one or two complaints." I said, "Well, how many's one or two? He said, "Well, two. <laughs> so, <laughs> said, "Really?" He said, "He said I can't really tell you it off either, either because it's probably our most successful show while we've been on air." I didn't yeah. realise that there was such a such a good uh, listening audience that night. Like, but it's, uh, that was memorable because it was like chaos. Yeah, but yeah. That's some, of, some of the best things are. Some of the best things are. I wasn't there. <coughs> when you sort of lose control a little bit and you think to yourself, God, these guys have took over. Because I literally just flung the doors open and said, well, yeah, I'll come and take over sort of thing. And I sat yeah. there. I sat there in the desk making sure like the, all the sound was all in. in Again, playing with Sam before it started, making sure yeah. like it wasn't going out too hot and that. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was madness. That was funny. <laughs> it seemed. I mean, listen, we're 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 coming up to nearly the hour mark, and we haven't even got into what we want to talk about. But, oh dear. So I don't want to move too. I don't <laughs> want to move too quickly because we've got there's so many stories, there's so much we need to get to. But one of our sort of mutual the reason the, the way we met was that um, Ian is, is is essentially the resident engineer sound guy at the outpost now ladies and gentlemen who listen to the show we've talked to the outpost previously um on two shows two of the most listened to shows yeah. I, I i hasten to add as well uh it's a fa- uh, for those that don't know it's a, a fabulous venue independent venue in liverpool that specializes in a wealth of music punk and metal and, and all kinds of things and and, and ian is the uh, is the house engineer there so how did how did that happen how did you kind of meet up with the outpost how did that begin well, it, I was I was sort of again I was mobile at the time. I was doing gigs uh, mobile at um, well it was at the time it was it was Maguire's. Um, mm. I get I get a call from one or two different promoters, the likes of uh, Rob Scott and Joe Mortimer and and a few others who'd say, well we we don't want like sort of Maguire's sound system. We want yours and we want yeah. you to come and do the show and stuff. So what I'd have to do is have to turn up take their house system down, put it in the corner and then put mine in before the show started. Um, And then at the end of the night, I'd box all mine off or pick it up the next day, but I had to put their sound system back on again. Um, But yeah, um, I'd sort of done the rounds between the Pilgrim and and there was Ron Zaboon and St. Helens, where they actually met. Now, now talking about being a metal show, and I know I'm diverging and going off a bit of a tangent here. (laughs) It was the first, first time I met Matt Pike. He was the guitarist okay. for Deified, as, as you probably yeah. know. He, he, friends, dr- yeah. he was a drum and bass DJ. I'm not sure he's going yes. to admit to it, but he was. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, he'd done these shows called Dubscure, 
um mm. and we, we we sort of i used to dj with him on on these lineups and stuff and it wasn't long after he, he sort of threw it to one side and took up guitar and obviously ended up where he is now um yeah. nice guy defied no pro no no uh, arguments with them at all like really really nice yeah, guys yeah. anyway back to the story <laughs> uh, after a while um doing all these shows and stuff i was doing more you know more regular work in, in, in mcguire's than most others and i just went to hell and i said look you know what do you feel about me coming in fitting my stuff in permanent yeah save me doing yeah. all the lifting and that being house yeah. and like basically coming to a deal um, with her, obviously lowered my price because you know I, I don't have to do as much work. I literally come in, turn it on, turn yeah. all the amps on, and as it's done, it's great on my back and on my car springs. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how that evolved. So because I was working, I ended up working in Maguire's before it turned into Outpost. Uh, at mm. this point, I'd like to acknowledge Helen and Matt um, for their the way they've stuck their neck out for Liverpool's mm-hmm. uh, underground scene and the DIY mm-hmm. scene and everything like that. Um, they run their business on the back of doing gigs in that venue. And I've got to say, um, although Helen isn't there anymore, she st- she kicked it all off. It was all her decisions who allowed all yes. this to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And now Matt's doing the same thing. Um, I know we're shut at the moment, but we will be back, you know. And, yeah. <laughs> And well, we yeah, how how was what how has been on the show? Um, what a what a fabulous sort of uh, person to you, just as to defender of the independent, defender of the music scene, yeah. and then Matt carries the whole thing on. You know, people Definitely. were a little maybe questioning what was going to happen when Maguire's kind of closed up, or you know, for a little period of time. That's why I got on the show because just to tell people that it was going to open again, and then it did at the outpost, and and, and I, many would say it's it's gone from strength to strength. It's doing even better. And I think we're both looking forward to going to our first show again when 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 it opens, which it will do. And so you were kind of the, the the sound guy there, and and it's a quite it's what's the cap there? And it's like what seventy people or so. What's the cap for the uh, venue? It's not big. It's, it's very small. It's round round about the ninety-ish, I think. Yeah, I would uh, say. When I would say yeah, yeah. So it's 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 quite a small small yeah. venue, but one of the things that's fantastic about it is it's very. Um, it's a very much a raw space. It's very much the yeah. various types of bands play. There's no barrier. There's none of space. No. And you were there with the band and 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 very much kind of in the whole thing. The the guys all load their gear and behind you is where they put all the gear. You know, it's that's it's right. it's very intimate. <laughs> intimate. That's the word I want to say. It's very intimate in all the all the great ways. So, do you when you when you're playing there and stuff? Did you find yourself? leaning towards metal music did you find you had an ear for that or was it just everything that was on punk and everything um i've never sort of like stuck myself to one genre ever really right. uh, still now to be honest you know it, it you know it, it i'm not even one artist to be fair like you know it's not it's yeah. not just like punk and metal and what have you there's a lot of electronic stuff i still like as well um mm. joe's like that i mean joe mortimer he's, yeah. he's, he's heavily into his really heavy metal um mm. and the, 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 the proper harder end but even yeah. now he's, he's got a, a like a large wide uh selection we, we, we talked about that yeah how yeah, how yeah. We, we were like saying that you know just because you you're a metalhead or you're into metal doesn't mean you can't step out oh. or off the path and listen to other things in fact it sometimes makes the thing you listen to better and certainly makes you playing better if you take bits from other, other music um yeah. it, it certainly helps so 
we should we should get some things sorted here because I'm always very positive on this show, but I always like to inform okay. as well. So okay. we do, I'll do a show tomorrow on Friday. We'll do a live show, and, and, and I'm sure there'll be some feedback off this one if we can get this up in time. Okay. But one of the things I always talk about if someone's like a tech or a guitar tech or stuff is things they should know before they, they get into the business that they maybe should have known. But with you being a sound guy, we've got a perfect opportunity to pick your brain. If I'm a young band, so I'm just starting out, handful of gigs, just starting out. And I, what should I be telling my sound guy? When I get to a venue, I've never met the okay. sound guy before. What, what are the conversations that I really should be having? Well, right. Just, just so I preempted this, by the way. I did this yes. today. I did this <laughs> today. They can't see this. There's a large headed. A4 piece of paper. <laughs> it's headed. It's headed tip to bands and promoters because yes. promoters can be uh can be at fault for a lot of the problems bad gig as much as the bands do and mm. you know what it's the, it's the fine detail it's nothing mm. down to x y or z or uh, even just down to gear it's the it's the smaller detail detail that's um yeah. that's into it like I let's mean, go I'll, on the list then i love it let's let's okay. let's start at the top where do you want to start bands or promoters <laughs> At the top, start with number one with a bullet. What's the first thing? Right, for bands, be early as possible. Okay. Yeah, Get there as early as you can. I mean, you know, don't be pretending to... Right. Right. Be prepared for just line checks. You won't always get a sound check. Okay. So if, I, if I'm a band and I'm told that I'm going to be on stage at, say, at 8 o'clock, what time yeah. should I be at the show? Well, if I'm going to be, be on stage at 8? Right, okay. Well, you should be at the show, sort of... Uh, sound checks at our venue. Uh, we can't make any noise till six o'clock because we've right. got neighbours and what have you. So we've got to. We cannot. We can't make any noise till six o'clock. Uh, yeah. Generally, with a four-band lineup, and you're on, the first band is usually generally on about eight o'clock. So the first band's on at eight. So yeah. if there's a chance of you getting a sound check, right, then you should be there at six o'clock. You know, yeah. you should, unless there's obviously the circumstance where people work and all that business. You understand, yeah. but as long as you're there in decent time, um, yeah, and if you are going to be late, then what you should need to do, what you need to do, is check that the, all the equipment you need is either going to be there or provided, or you bring yeah. it with you. You know, yeah. what is it? What, what's the old one? Uh, fail, fail to prepare is prepare to fail. Is it? Like yeah, that. that's exactly. No, it, yeah. yeah. Eight old sayings, but they all work. But some of them, some of them rings true. I mean, it's like <laughs> right. So one of the str struggles that that, that that Ian's talking about there is: do people think that? Um, well, why don't they just sound check the bands in the middle of the day and then everything sorted for the show? <laughs> because of fucking things like this, of like you've got to understand that this place that you play a show at is in the middle of a built-up area with residents yeah. and people, and there's a ton of fucking rules aside from fucking sound enforcement. There's a ton of rules. That mean there's only a narrow window. Trust me, when you go on tour and you go to playing in France and stuff like that, there'll be sound curfews at the front and the back end of your show that you have to get a, a very narrow window in to do yeah. your shit. That's why bands only get line checks. So you can't be fucking whinging if you're first on and you're not, and you only get the line check because it's not, it's not. No one's taking it personally. It's because there's only a narrow window to get this shit done. And the more you piss and moan and fuck around in that window, the smaller that window gets. And then no one can have the sound check because you no. 
we'll, we'll get to sound checks in a little bit because I'm just as pissed off with sound checks uh, uh, as you may be. But let's go. Let's go through the list. I'm gonna, let me get some light in here so I can pan properly. Let me get some light. Get a bit of light in here. There we go. That's it. There you I go. I can't see you. Um, so, okay. Moment, but never mind. It doesn't matter. There you go. Okay. There you go. Right. Okay. One, of, one of my bugbears is leave your ego at the door. I think we talked oh about this. With, we talked. You talked to Joe about this, and I was Most nodding definitely. my head fucking frantically when you when you said it. When you when you get there, you, you're an artist. When you go on stage and you do your set, then you, your art your art starts when you go on stage. Before yeah. that and after that. We're all normal human people, and we've all got mm-hmm. feelings, and we've all got things to do. So if yeah. you're if you're being an awkward dickhead who thinks they can just walk around the stage, swan around, and be like fucking Bon Jovi or whoever, you know, he <laughs> thinks the fucking yeah. idea is way above the station. People aren't yeah. gonna like you, and neither am mm. I. You know, mm. and I'm I'm the worst person you want on not on your side. To be fair, yeah, because like yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna I'm just gonna seriously not gonna. I'm not gonna not help you out of choice. It's just the fact that you know you're gonna go out your way. It's very hard to help these people, you know. So Do you know what can... is interesting about about ego? Well, we saw we, we went into this with Joe about this day. Um, a lot of the time, some of the best bands I've worked with, or the easiest bands to work with, have also been the most famous and the most the person you would go. Well, surely they if they wanted to use the ego card, they could. They oh, never I... do. They all because they've learned the lesson. They've learned the lesson of if you are a dickhead, you're going to be working with someone who doesn't give a fuck about your status, and they it's your life's going to be in their hands. So you best just be don't be a dickhead. Be a nice guy, and and it does pay dividends. I was always told when I first started, I was in a band billions of years ago, and one of the first pieces of nice advice I got is go up to the sound guy, introduce yourself. Ask him if he wants a beer or what he wants to drink. Just buy him a beer. Just at least like be, be nice. <laughs> just, do you know what I mean? So, okay, it's fucking right. You know what I mean? Just buy it. What's that cost? You know, just yeah, just yeah. so you can have that conversation. Yeah, yeah. completely agree. Completely. Right, yeah. So, you know, be nice. You know, be a nice person. You know, yeah. and if you're nice to everybody, everyone's going to be nice to you. And you're going to be remembered for being nice, not just for your music, but for being a nice person generally, you know. Be helpful. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing, the other things I've met, I've written down here. Okay. While you're there, watch all the other bands. Right. Fucking this. this Amen. Is, <laughs> you must. Fucking out of choice. If you're if you're a young band, you might watch a band and pick things up off what other bands are doing. You know, might go, oh, I fancy doing that, or this, that, and the other. They may make do something yeah. might sort of like make you better. But mm. apart from that, it's just etiquette. You know, yeah. how would you how would how would you like to play? And everybody else is in the bar. You know, yeah. it's it's where, where do you where do you stand in on on I put forward on a couple of shows that I suggested not putting up a band's stage times at all. <laughs> Chaos. At all. Because no, well, I mean, sorry, I should, I should maybe explain that a bit better. Um, yeah. put, it, put it up for the band so they can see but when you advertise the show so say I'm, do, I'm doing a show next weekend uh, with four bands on instead of putting when those what time those bands are on ones are on at 8 ones are on 8.45 whatever the fuck as, but not doing that and just going there's four bands on there you go because then otherwise people are going to go well I'll turn up for the last band or I'll, I'll come and see the first band and then fuck off or they don't have to get there oh, till no. half eight and right. where do you stand on that? Right where do I stand on that? In a fantastically real, like, like uh, logical world, it makes absolute sense. 
yeah. <laughs> but in reality, the likelihood is it's never going to happen because, yeah. as we've just mentioned, people don't leave their egos at the door. They just don't. They include and the you're audience. Gonna get, you're only going to need one person in one of the bands to kick off and one of the mm. other bands to hear him kicking off. And there's yeah. just, you know, there's not murder, mm. but there's enough there's enough banter going on to say, well, why should we do that yeah. if they're not doing that? And they're like, they're like, they end up being like a bunch of kids. And it's yeah. just ridiculous, you know. It just get, it all gets a bit ridiculous, you know. Um, so in a real world, yeah, I agree with you. In, in reality, the likelihood is it probably won't. Yeah, but yeah, then yeah. we've talked about, we've talked about that band lineups and which order things should be played, sort of yeah, in, yeah. sort of real world anyway. Um, mm. And even that's a bit contentious sometimes. I think it's just a play by yeah. ear type of thing. I think. Yeah, we talked we talked about on the live show where, mm. where Ollie was bringing it up about uh, how sometimes the best slot isn't the headlining slots. There's no, people going home and going on a train and fucking off and stuff. Sometimes it's the better is the soft slot before. And I explained that I think that sometimes, um, like they did this at, uh, at on the Warp Tour, I think, where they would select the bands at random and you all played the same amount of time. And it was random when you won out, drawn out of a hat. Well, you're third on, off you fucking go. And it just meant that people had to go and find the stuff. So, yeah, I think the answer's in there somewhere. But, yeah, no, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Right. Talk to other bands at venues. Right. This is another <laughs> thing as well. What you find is when you get to venues, and this happens, I'm not joking you, every single no, week, no. you'll get I've one band sat over on the right, one band sat over the right with their mates, and they all sit in little zones. Instead yeah. of all talking to each other and learning yeah. stuff, and even doing this thing called gig swapping. Right. Yeah. Where they, if, say you get one band from, like I don't know, wherever it's Manchester or whatever like that, and yeah. they do end up running their own gig and you could yeah. go and play on their gig in return they yeah. come to play your gig when you run one in liverpool sort of thing yeah. so you end up filling up your gig schedules by just talking to each other i mean yeah. it's dead easy and it's i can tell i can go backstage ridiculous. i've done it a billion times i did it metal to the masses quite a lot and i'll, I'll tell you before hearing a fucking note i'll tell you the band <laughs> that's going to do well within the industry i yeah. can tell because I can watch them, or one or two members of the band, networking. I watch them do it, yeah. going over, hey, how are you? Which band are you? Are you, are you from Scotland? All right, okay. We've never played Scotland. Oh, you should come up and play. And I've watched it happen organically, yeah. and I've watched the reverse happen, where there's been a band sitting in the corner who go, well, fucking, these don't, we don't want to give away any secrets. I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. Or we don't want to talk to another band. It's like, are you fucking crazy? We're all in the same war. We all want a good show. Everybody... You never know. You might meet someone, and it helps you. Why would you? I was always told by a friend of mine that um, networking is better than not working, and it's oh, the truest point. Thing. I like it's that the one. Thing. It's the truest thing in the world. And it, I, I'll tell you now. I've seen, I don't want to mention. I don't want to embarrass any bands. But I went to see a band, and it was at the outpost, and I watched them do an absolutely splendid job of networking and working that room with the other bands and talk to them and getting yeah. what, what must have been a host of connections from it. And then I saw another band at the same show who, once they did the, 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 the sound check, fucked off out, came in for their show, and then went after their thing. I watched two separate bands do two totally separate ways of doing it. And oh. right now, I, I, don't, I went back about uh, a month later, and I had a look at how many followers and stuff they all had. And one band's career is proper moving now. And the other one, I don't even think they're even a band anymore. And I'm, no. I'm telling you now, I can see that, and I see it happen all the time backstage. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. What else have we written here? Okay, right. Here's a big one for you. Shock to the okay. band. 
be prepared to lose money for a long time. Fucking right. Yeah. And you've got to take this on the chin, right? Before you're any sort of reasonable success where you can start sort of not just like earning any money at all or earning a wage from it, stuff like that. You're yeah. going to lose money hand over fist trying to prove you are, who you are, to, to people you've never met. And this yeah. is the big thing about it all, you know. And you've got to constantly, it goes hand in hand with talking to bands and talking to people and always having something to sell. You know, you, mm. you get some, some bands turn up and they say, well, where are you putting your merch and stuff? And, well, they haven't got any, you know. <coughs> the outlay is worth it because it, you're going to make a bit of money on your merch and stuff. But, you know, it's the mm. lifeblood. It's like an investment in a sort of weird way. The, the best, weird. yeah, the, the, the best way, way to explain uh, explain that sort of merch sort of strand of that is that if you can imagine you open a uh, a supermarket and the only thing you sell in that supermarket is is peas, frozen peas. That's all you sell. <laughs> so you've done all the stuff in this, this this supermarket. It's fucking brilliant. It looks amazing. And people come in and go, "I'm having some of those those frozen peas," and you sell them all the frozen peas, and they go, "Right, well." I, I want something else now. You know, well, we only do frozen peas. People coming yeah. to your show, they want more than that. They go, okay, I really love your band. What else? Okay, we'll buy our CD. You fucking should have a CD. Well, oh, do, do you do t-shirts? I've been asked for all kinds of things like lapel badges and pin badges and all kinds of things. The bands that succeed, certainly as well, and I'll, I'll sidebar to this in a second as well, but the bands that succeed understand that merch part is is critical to deciding if a gig has been successful or a failure financially. I'll, and the sidebar I'll just make to it is that a lot of times, and um, a, a record label or certainly promoters and, and agents and that type of thing will look at how much investment a band has done into that as a, a requisite of how successful they're going to be if they book them or they sign them because they're like, well, hold on. They already understand the game of merch and the game of that type of thing. It's part of being financially stable as an artist. Definitely. Right. It, it goes on. And, and the other thing, the other thing, the other bugbear for me, and obviously I've worked in venues for in different venues all over the place. And the yeah. bug, one of the bugbears for me is bands that don't promote themselves, their own gigs. Yeah. They yeah. don't promote their own gigs. They expect the venue and the promoter to do all the work and expect to just turn up and there's going to be an audience there. It yeah, doesn't the, happen. It's the, like, the, under, it's like, the underlying it's like thing to this. Sorry. It's, it's, like, it's like me getting getting outpost, booking Fat Boy Slim, spending £20,000 on him doing a DJ set and not telling yeah. anyone about it. Yeah. It's exactly, yeah. it's ridiculous. It doesn't add up. Yeah. So bands need to promote the, promote their gigs to death. Um, and, and I would say that the underlying thing with the promotion thing as well is simply saying you're going to a show is not, <laughs> as a band, is not promoting that fucking show. No, you no, absolute fucking showed. You've got to understand that you need to be suggesting this to It fucking drives me mental. It must drive you fucking crazy. It's like, you've got to be... You can't just expect people to search you out. It doesn't nope, fucking doesn't work happen. like that. Nope. You have to. Back in the day, we talked about the 80s and 90s and that type of thing. People had to, to pay people or fucking do it themselves to fly post everywhere. Now, the internet is that fly posting. You can't just say going, click going on a Facebook thing and you've somehow promoted your event. You fucking idiot. There's millions of platforms you can promote this on. You have to shout it from every fucking internet rooftop that you can find you need to be doing it regularly and often otherwise what the fuck you, you 
you're you're not this huge band that people are going to flock to. You have to fucking constantly be knocking on people's doors, internet wise. And sometimes people may go, "Oh, well, you're just spamming people with that." There's a difference. You have to be people have to be aware of something first. You're spamming them if you send them two or three messages a week. But if once a week you're talking about it, that's probably the absolute minimal. But self promotion, oh my god, the amount of people go expect the promoter to do that is unbelievable. Yes, the promote. Yes, let, all right. Let's put it on front street. Yes, the promoter should promote the event. That's part of his name. Of course they should. Of course they should yeah. create posters and viral campaigns and all the rest of it. We get that. But it's meant to be a collaborative fucking effort. The venue's meant to help them do that. The promoter's right. meant to help the venue. The venue meant to help the promoter. The promoter's meant to help the artist, and the artist is meant to help the promoter. All three of them together is this powerful force. When it works, it's fucking really powerful. If one yeah. person just does it, it's like fucking, it's it's the equi- musical equivalent of pissing in the wind. It just doesn't work. It, it drives me crazy. It, uh, what pisses me off more, and it pissed me off when you said it as well on, on the live thing, you told me a band that I hadn't heard of that was based in my fucking hometown. And I was like, these are fucking amazing. And I've never heard of them. And I was fucking furious with myself because I was like, <laughs> So, oh, yeah, but people are like, people are like, I want to help my local scene, and I want to do that. Start fucking finding bands, putting the fears out. Stop yeah. following these bands and asking to be put on mailing lists so you can be told about these fucking shows. It's all communication. I could not agree with you more, which is going to be a, a, a running theme through all these things on your list. What's swearing at people? That's great. Yeah, I'm going to swear to fucking everybody. I'm pissed <laughs> off. You're going you to be pissed already. I want to make this a fucking T-shirt and then sell it. <laughs> but I want to make... It's true as they are. I love your passion, mate. It's brilliant. I'm so pissed. I'm so pissed off it, like, because yeah. it's all true. Right, and the fact okay. that we have to talk about it's laughable, but it's true. Oh, are you? Uh, okay, what else have we got? Um, what was I going to say? Right, I think, the, and the other, the, the final point I made, right, and, and 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 a lot of bands are going to like sort of like disagree and think, well, it doesn't happen to us. Stick together. You're getting bands, right? Okay. We're lasting, going together. They're together for like three or four months. Don't get any success and think, oh, I'm not having any right. fun with this. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go somewhere else or this, that, and the other. You know, mm. stick with it. You'll be. I mean, some yeah. of the most famous bands that you've ever heard were doing the same music and same sets, like for, for years before they broke mm. broke any sort of ground at all. In the in the background, they're writing new stuff and they sort of introduce the new stuff gradually. Which is what you support. What the best way of doing it? But initially, when you're when you're a new band, you have your set. You, you have your set. You practice your set, and be prepared to play play that set over and over again. And yet, it's going to get boring. It's going to get this, that, and the other. But it's about getting slightly. It's not staying in your local scene. You've got to get out and about. You've only got so many friends between you. Say, say for instance, you've got a four-piece band, and say you've got four 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 friends each or whatever, just for accident. Yeah. And then you've got your yeah. aunties and uncles. All in all, you're going to have, what, 25 people all in? You, you've yeah. got to have more than 25 people in your following. You know, it's mm. got to happen, so you've got to find find ways and means of doing that. And gigging is, is the most important thing you can do. It's just gig and gig and gig more and play the same set at all these venues and stuff mm. until you're, like, sick in the back teeth and just keep writing it and introducing it sort of gradually. It's interesting that you bring up staying power as, <laughs> as a sound guy and, 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 and that resiliency. And it's like, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. 
Um, and we're going to get into that a little bit. But it's like, you know, it's like Iggy Pop. It doesn't like playing Lust for Life, ladies and gentlemen. He's sick to fucking death of it. I don't know. I've never met him. I've never, I've no idea. I've no inside knowledge. But I'm telling you now, he probably fucking is sick to death of that song. But yeah. that's, he's, he's learned that, you know, through playing his sets regularly and honing his craft, he's learned to do that perfectly. He's learned to get it right. And Ian's talking about, you know, if you don't suddenly become the biggest thing in, in the world after a year, it doesn't mean you're shit. We've been force-fed that it does mean this shit. There's a lot of these, in inverted commas, overnight sensations. And the reality is, they've been working on it for years beforehand. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. It's been done. It's just been not done in the public's eye, in the public's glare, if you will. It's never, it's not been done with that. It's interesting that a sound guy brings up resiliency. I think that's fantastic. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Right. Should we get off bands and start having a go at the promotion? Ladies and gentlemen, we're an hour and a half. <laughs> so welcome to the show. Um, now we get started. Now we can really fucking sort some stuff out. Okay, let's go. Okay, so this now, is menus. No, promoters. Promoters, sorry, promoters. sorry, sorry. Yeah. Now, okay. I've worked with some amazing promoters. I've worked with promoters sure. who are very thorough and they're very good people. Like Joe, Joe, we've mentioned yes. once or twice already. Joe does yeah. his shows and everything is organised. There's no problems at all. Don't think so. But unheard of, yeah. well, unheard of ones which you just you just cope with, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've worked with other other promoters who like sort of like you know they're okay, but they're nice people, so you don't mind helping them out. Uh, yeah. Over over a period of time, I've managed to acquire like all my backline, um, yeah. drum kit and stands and cymbals and all that stuff. Well, not cymbals, but you know. Yeah. Um, so if anything breaks or anything like that, I can literally show what we are and just pass them in. Yeah, we make it. Yeah, sort yeah. of thing. This this is what you do. Um, generally, most sound guy and venues don't tend to have that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't really follow what other yeah, sound guys. Not as much as do, yeah. Not as much as you think. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, so, my tips for promoters. <laughs> another t-shirt. Right. It's another t-shirt. What? It's another t-shirt. I wish I was special. <laughs> I wish I was special. <laughs> And then okay. we put these rules on the back of that. That's how we do it. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, right, okay. Make sure you've got it clear with all your bands about backline and equipment. So, right. I've had the odd time with, with promoters. I've, like, like got four bands in a venue. And they've yeah. either told the band, saying, well, we need, someone needs to bring this. Someone needs to bring it. I've not confirmed anything. Yeah. Uh, and no one brings anything. <laughs> Let me just so get some more. The drummer turns up with drumsticks and cymbals. Switch these lights on here. Let me just. Uh, here we go. That's it. Here we go. We should be good to go. Because we're burning the midnight oil, sorting this all out now. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. <laughs> so I love it. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that we live in a time now where and and this may seem like a mad concept to a band out there, but if there's four bands on, yeah, just so you yeah. know, so this is all amazing to everybody out there. You have to have instruments to fucking play. Wow. You have to have amplification <laughs> for it to go through. You have to have all these things, and these have to be organised. It's like, imagine you're going on a picnic, and everybody has to bring the right things, otherwise you don't have a picnic. If you're going on a picnic and no one's bringing sandwiches, you're not on a picnic, yeah? It's as simple as that. When you go, when you go, <laughs> when you go, when you go to do a show, you have to make sure everybody's brought everything. Now, the promoter, for the most part, should be the connecting tissue between that. But there's nothing wrong with you sorting your own fucking shit out. 
and then there's a big there's a question at the back there someone's got their hand up notoriously will be like well, okay so every band has to bring all their gear and all their backline no they don't that's what the whole well, point that's, is like that's the who's working together <laughs> yeah that's the other end of the scale sometimes we get some of this uh some of the uh the metal core stuff and yeah. every single band will bring all their own equipment so the drummer will want to use his own kit the the, the, yeah. the guitarists will want to use their own cabs and you've seen the space i've got behind me to yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just mental you it becomes just a, a, a semantical nightmare don't it <laughs> It's the nightmare. Yeah, everywhere. Down the walls and everything. And you're taking 20 people off the venue because you've got speakers all over the place. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up, though. There's a, there's a point to be made there. So point <coughs> one, if you want all your own shit and you want your backline and fucking whatever you've got, pop-up banners and all that shit, that's sound, but know some things. No, like Ian says, that's going to cut the amount of people in most venues by 10, 20 people who yeah. can fit in there. That's going to cut that out. Know this, know that for most part, it's going to make most stages very cramped. And as much as people like to see a nice backdrop, they like to see the bassist go fucking crazy too. Also know that the setup time between that getting set up and taken down may come out of your stage time. If you if it's going to take you 20 minutes to set up your shit, no one's going to wait 20 minutes with nothing going on. The changeover needs to be 5, 10, at best 15 minutes changeover. If you have to set up fucking dragons that spit fire for fucking half an hour, that's going to come out of your stage time. <laughs> <laughs> I've written it it's down. fucking true, it's though. It's true. It drives me fucking mental. I was going to put some actual physically sort of like uh, equipment stuff and that uh, in, yeah. in a section, little little tip section I've written down as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought of oh. my madness in it. Anyway, <laughs> let's get off okay. this and stop, stop swearing for a minute. Okay, okay. Back to promoters, right? Okay, sometimes okay. promoters don't read the contracts that they've got with the venue. They don't read it. So when it comes mm. to the end of venue and all the money's starting to like get split up or whatever like that, you don't realise that they've won, either got to pay the venue or they haven't done enough over the bar so they don't get the deposit back and all this, that and the other. And it becomes a shock. What they need to do is check. Check read the contract and be prepared to lose on the door because they're viable they're they're viable for for paying out the bills you know paying the bills yeah and the venue and and venue and and the costs and what have you need to come out first before they've got any arrangement with bands and stuff like that afterwards you you sort them out as much as as much as it hurts me to say if you've got like you know a poor turnout for one reason or another Generally, yeah. usually the, the bands that, that lose out, especially if you've got a, like a headliner coming from like Scotland or somewhere, and they spent like you know eighty hundred quid just in petrol, and um, mm. you know you've got your promoters got to be prepared to cover, make sure that the band at least gets there and back in, you know, without so, having to some, some of the people pocket, listening out, know. Li- listening to the show who want to become promoters may not even realise that you no. are contractually obliged when you when, you, when yeah, if you're a promoter you go to a show. There, there's a contract there because it's, it's what what Ian's talking about is risk. So ideally, when you're running a show, you everybody concerned needs to reduce the risk of everything. And first and foremost, it's the person that owns the venue, owns the actual building that's there, has to keep the lights on. So every show has to have an element of risk to it that's reduced, and that's what a contract enables. And here's yeah. the surprise that Ian's kind of spoiled for us is that the fucking no one's making money on the door. 
You know, no one's making money on a door. They're making the money on the bar. Like we talked about before, bands making money through doing merch and selling merch. No one's making that much money on the door because they want to get people in. Once you're in, that's when they start making you money and you can do it with bar incentives and that type of thing. And you do it through merch and all the rest of it and you do it that way. So you have to protect that because there's only going to be a baseline that the venue's going to pick up. If it's a poor show, like you say, <laughs> I mean, a string of poor, poor, poor shows can close a venue. That's how cutthroat yeah. it is and how difficult it is. A string of poor, badly run shows can close a venue. So there's no point in getting fucking uh, whiny about having to have a contract and sticking to it. And like Ian says, understanding what that contract means. It's yeah. not a bad thing. It's a good thing to protect everybody involved. Definitely. Right. You go to you go is is another one for promoters now, and it's a, this, okay. this is something that that sort of like you've noticed over a period of time and whatever you know. Um, yeah. Nowadays, you go see a major band, say Metallica, in a massive venue. Yeah. This that you're right. Yeah. You're looking at a hundred quid now to go and see yeah. one band in a massive venue. It's ridiculous. It, 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 yeah. But then you know the the, the, the music industry has changed that much now, where you spend the, the the only way a band will make money now is on touring and merchandise and it yeah. makes music to promote the tour and the merchandise years ago exactly. the other way around you know yes. nowadays it's, it's that way around and that's the way that's yeah. why ticket prices are so much more expensive which yeah. is why when we do sort of gigs over the last god even say for the five for the last five years uh, the standard sort of gig entry in our in in, in our post is around about a five Right, okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. a fiver and you've got you get to see four or five bands for a fiver. Right. Yeah. So think about I know it's I know it's tough on people at the moment and tough on the punters to think, you know, well you've got to pay a fiver to come to a gig. What's the point when when you've got to think to yourself, well, charge them seven or eight quid instead? You know, mm. them extra three or four quid are gonna make all the difference when you've got to pay the bills in the end. I think the five at a gig has, has got limited time, and I, I don't think it can mm. you can it can last for that much longer. I think mm. uh, I think that promoters have got to realise that they're going to have to charge a bit more, to, not yeah. only to cover their own asses, but just to make sure the band get a few bob. You yeah, know? and they've, they've got think, to look yeah. at that sort of thing, you know. And it's it's a pass on it's a pass on, but life's changed, and, and, and sort of like costs have gone up of all sorts of things, especially with the likes of like just fuel on its own, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's, it, yeah. it, it, it's that, that whole thing about yeah, I think it's definitely what it comes to me, it comes from a point of making um it 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 adding a quality of value to a show. So yeah. for me it's it's you have to reverse engineer it. So why doesn't someone come to a show because it's not good enough? Okay, well how do we make it so it becomes a really viable thing for them to come and pay eight pounds or ten pounds or whatever to come to a show? And yeah. that comes with everything from the people you book to how you book them to the, the way you present the show to how much like lead time you're given to promoting it to really make it worthwhile to make it an event. Every show has to be an event that you've poured a time into that you've thought about it. To Matt Bonnell's a great example of this. Is someone that does that. It really puts the lead time into a show and th- people to think about it. Talks about why it makes sense to put these bands on. Talks about the bands really creates yeah. value to, to what's going on. So when someone turns up and you go, how much is it coming tonight? And you go, eight pounds. You go, not a problem because I know 
there's going to be a value here. There's yeah, no way I mean, it's going to be worth my money, you know, which is yeah. ridiculous when we when everybody talks about the price of a ticket being the same as the price of a cup of coffee, and no one seems to bitch about that, like, you know. Um, right. But, yeah, yeah, it all comes down to if you're a venue and you're promoting book quality, book interesting things that you think people will be interested in. Be a, be, don't be afraid to take a risk and find something that works as well and do that and try and look at that. If you're a band, help these people, support them, play different things with the set. When I saw Fall on Hope did a show and they played their album in full um, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It, it really created a real special thing of that night and it was fantastic. And I think, I can't remember how much the ticket price was. I don't think it was a five. I think it was a bit more. But what they did was they created a real urgency and a real thing of like, this is an event. This is maybe one time we're going to do this and it's an event and it made it special and creating special shows is something that everybody yeah. involved in the process. Yeah, definitely. The other thing about promoters as well is, you know, you talked about, you talked about before, like the, the old, old school way of uh, providing like information to people was to go to places and flyer and poster and all that sort of mm. thing. And years ago, yeah. that, that, that making posters and flyers and all that used to cost money, didn't it? To mm. promote yeah. the show. You've got to have a bit of outlay, this, that, and the other. Mm. Right, okay. Yeah. And you know the way that, you know the way nowadays people promote on the likes of Facebook, you know? Yeah. So what is the problem in paying for advertising on Facebook? Yeah. I, I have to, it doesn't cost the earth. It doesn't cost the earth. Yeah. It costs you, you can spend 30 quid on your show and promote yeah. it to, to, to a wider audience that you can possibly do than just on your own Facebook friends list. It gets yeah. out much, much further. Is, is there this, is there this weird thing, eh? Is there this weird thing where bands don't want to buy in enough to, to their show? To Some bands out there now listening to this may consider that heresy that you're saying, <laughs> hey, to advertise. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate because I agree with you. Line. I agree with you entirely. It's but they would be like, what? I'm going to have to pay money to advertise my band when there's already a promoter. What Ian's saying, what Ian's saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that, yes, you should do everything, anything, anything that your band's doing, taking a fucking shit or playing a show, advertise it and spend your money. like that. Why the fuck, right? Why the fuck Here we do you go. think people advertise <laughs> on television and on the back of a bus and stuff? Why do you think they fucking do that? Because... <laughs> advertising works people do get advertised too and take that information in and you should be too, it's not the devil facebook isn't the devil it probably it might become the devil but advertising that is the same as paying to have your record advertised on the radio or on a, the television it's the same thing it's just a different medium so yeah it doesn't cost that much to do that it doesn't cost that much no i mean i've, I've done my own shows and i always pay a few bob on the facebook yeah. business and what you can do, you can actually specifically, or you know, aim your advertising to a specific yeah. You can target you can the set parameters yeah. like into yeah. specific groups or specific like people who have actually put like they like metal music. And yeah, what yeah. Do, if you go so many in your area, like this within a certain like certain distance or whatever. There's like six thousand. It's going to cost you this for this long to advertise it. It's worth it because not only if these people think, oh well, it's only down the road and it's eight quid. And I've got nothing on on Saturday. I'm going to turn up. Even if you get three yeah. or four, three or four of them turned through the door, you got your money back. It's it's you it's know. pure business thought here, isn't it? Is that like if you, if, if you do nothing if you do twenty quid worth of advertising, let's just pull some figures <laughs> out. I'll drill a map here. Costs. 
if you do twenty pounds worth of things, imagine someone buys two of your t-shirts and you're selling your t-shirts for a tenner. Winner. Well, straight away, that's looked after itself, and that's just two people out of the Christ knows how many thousands that that will probably reach. It's just business. It's business, and it makes good business sense. Yeah, madness. Definitely. Um, right, these these tips for bands I've written down were quite interesting. If you want to listen. To them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Just simple things like, you know, if a band has got just a singer, the number of times I see the singer just turn up and stand on the stage while all the rest of them are all pl- plugging the gear in and what have you. And the singer doesn't move. Instead of turning round and helping the drummer with the bloody cymbals. So oh, it's the oldest thing in the world, isn't it? Like, like yeah. That. Yeah, so th- there's always that. The singer yeah. needs to help the drummer out set of stuff. Because there's always the drummer who's got more to set up than anybody. You know? Yeah. And if he says, well, I don't know how to set it up. Well, I'll just sit learn. in the practice room. Practice Fuck in the practice learn. room. And then it's done. You know, it gets yeah. done, like, much, much better. Yeah. Um, right, the number of times you see bands... You go, oh, I've snapped a string. Anyone got a spare guitar we can lend? Right. At one band, I say it's got two guitarists, carry a spare guitar. You know, oh, it's incredible. Like, and it doesn't have to be fantastic. It's only last minute, like we literally turn around, pick it up, yeah. plug it in, and then and they're going. It's sort of yeah. a bit logic y, bit like I'm, I'm talking like a Boy Scout here. You know, it's, yeah, but I've seen ever. it happen. Ian, I've been at a show. <laughs> I've seen someone times. break some strings, and I've seen them go over the mic. Has anybody got a guitar? And that that will kill a show. I think yeah, it'll look how I've seen videos online of BB King changing a string mid fucking song. Shut yeah. the fuck up. Get another guitar. Sort yeah. it out. It's That's honestly, it. it's unbelievable. When you go on tour, you have backups for fucking everything. Absolutely. You're not going to be able to turn around to see to, to your guitar hero of choice and go, well, I haven't got any more guitars, boss. Sorry. You know, it doesn't fucking work like that. Crazy. Right. Okay. Here's another one. Even simpler. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> Make sure you've got all your leads with you. <laughs> like that. Fucking hell. How easy is that? How easy is it to just have the right leads? And if you've got, like, if you need get, have a spare guitar lead, it doesn't take any room up, you know. And when you and when you've finished your set, don't just grab it all in like a fucking bunch of snakes in a Indiana Jones fucking movie and throw it in your bag because you rely on them leads to work next time. Amazing. It doesn't work. They Amazing. Look after the leads. The leads will look after you. Here's look, another cliche it, for you. Here's the thing, right? As a band, what you're doing when you're playing these small shows, ladies and gentlemen, is you're practicing for when you become bigger and you play bigger shows. You're practicing for that. So when you play these shows in front of thousands and thousands of people, you've learned all these lessons before you get there. Ian and me are trying to teach you some of these, smart you up into some of these things before you... It's if, simple stuff. if you put it's your not... shit away badly, if you put your shit away badly, yeah, I guarantee it will bite you on the arse. People, the, one of the number one, I've been a guitar tech, one of the number one failings on a lead is because it's been put away shitly and hasn't been coiled correctly. It's go. just good there sense. Go. It's like, it's road hard. It's what is it? Road dry and put away, put away wet or something like that. It's something like that. But you just back, look after your fucking tools. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> look after your tools. If, if the best analogy you can give it is this. Like, if you're going to war, yeah, you're damn sure that you've got fucking ammo. Yeah, if you haven't, you're going to get fucking shot. 
and and a guitar cable is the way I see it is fucking ammo. Right. That's the way I see it. <laughs> I need to be more aggressive. I think. <laughs> Listening to you, Amazing. I'm not sure if it's passion or just aggression. You want to go outside and punch a granny or something. I'm... I think I think it's a bit of both. I, I've been stuck in the fucking house so long. I want to go out in the pit. I'm 45 right. and I still want to fuck something up in the pit. <laughs> and and the, the 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 biggest one for me for young bands, okay. right? Avoid pay-to-play gigs. Ah, oh, real nitty Do pay-to-play gigs. They will not serve you any purpose unless mummy and daddy have got loads of money to throw away, and you yeah. will get to play 20 minutes first in front of a like a five band thing in a big venue then yeah. for the experience alone maybe once the, the, the problem with pay to play is amongst amongst many things is if you keep doing them, if bands keep playing them they will still exist if bands stop Absolutely. playing them they will cease to Terrible. exist it, it's a really bad practice and it's normally run by people who who don't have any inclination money. to improve the scene or of any kind it's pure money Pure money, money nothing pure more money. Than that. And it's, and, it, it. and it's, yeah, it's to be avoided. Stop it. Mm. Or I'll smack you in the arse. <laughs> <laughs> or Ian's coming up, Ian's going to wake you up in the middle of the night with a fucking bat. Knock that shit in. Strangle yeah. them with their fucking badly wrapped leads. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Trek. What you, what you, well, do you know what? We're laughing, and it's probably because of madness, because these yeah, things sound so obvious to me. Sounds so obvious to you, but it happens, and it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, what else do we want to talk about? <laughs> Shit, have we worked you? Have we done your list? Um, let me have a look at you. If I missed anything off here, da, 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 da. I've got a few people that I want to mention. That's fine. I'll do that in a minute. Um, Listen, blah, blah, blah. okay. Look. Oh, right. Okay. You've already, where, mentioned, you've already mentioned when you when you finished your set, right? You know when you got you got like. We started line up at, at, at sort of eight, eight o'clock and the, the, the curfew's yeah. 11. So you've got four yeah. bands to fit in. So you've got a t- certain time slot. Right. When you fit bands finish the set, right, it's, it's, it's much better for a band that are playing to get off as soon as possible to allow mm. the next band on as soon as possible. You've already mentioned it, so you stole me thunder a little bit. But it's so Sorry. important for not to so lose true. down. And get all your little friends coming on stage and hugging you and you say, oh, you were amazing. Like, you're going to be Bon Jovi. Why does Bon Jovi keep on being brought up? But, you know, I think with the, we, no yeah, we painted Bon Jovi as the devil, like, you know, but in many ways he might be. <laughs> but the, 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 the thing, what Ian's talking about, though, is that when, you, when, you, when a band finishes, naturally you want to, the girlfriend of the band wants to rush up and kiss the singer for the set. Trust me, yeah. Don't fucking do that, yeah? Rush to the fucking bar or rush to the merch stand. Okay, that's where... Because any self-respecting band will be at one of those two things. Don't rush the stage. Fuck off so they can do the changeover. Because also, curfews are very important. There's hard and there's soft curfews. And what I mean by a soft curfew is, we're, well, we close... We finish at about, about 11 o'clock. Now, those are rare now. What more is you get hard curfews, and a hard curfew will be where... At that point, there is meant to be something else happening. So sometimes they'll have a night, a dance uh, night or whatever. There'll be something else going on yeah. where they want you fucking out the fucking building. And this all folds back into being into set times and overrunning. If you overrun or if you, you're a bit of a dickhead setting up your stuff and all the rest of it, and the last band's got 10, 20 minutes, if it's a hard care for you, that's all they've got. No, they can't argue with anybody. The, the house shoot, shuts down. So, yeah, completely agree. I mean, 
to me, a lot of these things, people will be listening and laughing. And I hope they are, because some of them will be listening and laughing and go, how ridiculous that they're asking that. I hope, I hope they are. But I'm telling you now, I'm telling you now, when this, all, when this coronavirus thing passes and we're allowed to go back into shows, there will be people who are still fucking fuck some stuff up and we're just trying to help because we see yeah. it happening. And it, isn't it the most painful thing to watch, especially from the sound desk? Isn't it the most painful thing to watch? I've, I've got spares of stuff, right? I've, you know, yeah. you collect it over a period of time. That's the other yeah. thing as well, if you're a new band as well. Make sure you yeah. take everything home with you. Yeah. You know, and, and it's yeah. just ridiculous. People, you know, bands are skint, but they leave shit behind. They leave yeah. shit behind the venues. And it's All only the a lead or this, that, and the other. But a lead is like a, a decent lead. can be a tenor. And they just that's, leave that's behind. That's why this what is I do practice. Is, yeah. I, I wrap the leads up, and I just put it by me. If you come back yeah. the next day, I'll say, well, yeah, you left this behind. I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to lead, but if they're leaving it behind and someone comes in and says, have you got a guitar lead? They go, well, yeah, they are. That's, that's why this practice for bands. Say, like... Well, it's not mine. You can have it. Sort of thing. When, you know, when they get... <laughs> pass it down the when, line. When bands get down. bigger and they go out on tour, where you're most of the time playing night after night, sometimes twice a day, but certainly playing night after night, maybe only one or two days, days off, and you have to set up and pack down relentlessly. If you don't get in the habit of doing your idiot checks and checking everything's there, you're going to lose stuff. And you'll be like, where's my fucking guitar pedal? It's in Bremen, <laughs> Germany. Where's that? 300 miles away from the fucking last show, you fucking idiot. And we can't get here. But I used that particular guitar pedal for the intro to so-and-so. Not tonight, you're not, dickhead. No. Check your stuff and make sure you've got it. This is all practice for when you become professional. This is yeah. all practice for it. And the sooner you get this stuff learned and under your fingers, the better you are and the better experience you'll have. You can't afford to leave stuff at a venue. Average guitar cable, 15, 20 pounds. Average pedal, 100, 100 pounds. Uh, you know, these are expensive yeah, things. Geez. You need to be taking that shit with you. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Like, like it's it's tools of your trade. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be like neglecting it or being so sort of like, enthralled in your fame like at that night yeah. and you've got like your five mates watching you or whatever that you forget yeah. your, like your guitar pedals and what have you you know yeah. it's, it's a bit that listen we're coming up to nearly two hours yay <laughs> <laughs> and so let's let's start maybe winding now let's do the shout outs you said there's some people you want to mention let's yeah, yeah, let's, let's mention those people by all means now you 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 the spoken metal show you obviously you support yes. the local metal scene and stuff like Most that definitely. so as far as I can see, that there's obviously um, there's some people which I think deserve a mention, and because of what they've done and things that they've done. Obviously, Joe Mortimer now he's in. Yes, he's a he's a tremendous tremendous promoter uh, on the on the scene, and, and it's obviously got his uh, his larger larger um, um, what is it called the, the bigger gigs that he does. Yes, um, yeah, the festival slam UK slam. That's the fest. That you that's it. They're right. Yeah. Like, um, he needs a mention because because mm. he, he he knows his shit. He does, Joe, yeah. uh, and he's such a nice bloke as well. And him, him and his girlfriend and stuff. When they turn up, when you do shows, does so. Props to you guys for making things easy for me when we do gigs. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, another guy as well, which in the metal scene, Liverpool, Andy Hughes. You know, he does Death Wave. You, you Andy Hughes, the boss. Yeah, yeah most definitely. Yeah. So he, he's uh, he's very strong, and I'm not sure where he is at the moment. He may be coming back into the scene again. I he's think had so. a bit of an up and down so. life, poor, poor Andy, yeah. but he's such a yeah. nice fellow, you know, 
But again, he's a decent promoter because he knows his shit. He does. Uh, and he knows a lot of people as well. So, like, if you, if any yeah. young band is looking to get, metal band looking to get into the scene and stuff, tap up Andy Hughes at Deathwave, and it's well worth the push. Couldn't recommend him more, yeah. Right, okay. Local artist, Danny Moran. You know him. Yes. You know him very well. Uh, yeah. From Reaper. I've known, I've known Danny for such, such a long, so quite a while now, actually. Yeah. Uh, first met Andy, uh, Danny, when I did, do you know, do you know a lady called Hez Phoenix? Yes, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right, okay. Well, I, I actually, she, she, she got married. Yeah. And um, and well, basically, she got let down by an awful lot of things. Maybe you were there at a wedding. I'm not sure. I don't. And, I don't think so. But I think right, I remember. Okay. It, yeah. Well, anyway, she got let down with all sorts of things at a venue, a sound system, a band, and everything. Yeah. This, that, and the other. She basically had nothing, you know, for for uh, for after a wedding, for a venue, yeah. whatever. So she managed to get a venue. Um, Danny was with Reaper and she got Reaper to play but oh, yeah. didn't have anything so I was at a loose end so I said well, you know what right I'm just going it was only round the corner from where I lived so I just carted all my gear up there you know I said to her I said I don't want pain you know happy wedding day and all that uh, Reaper played they, had, they found some DJ as well so we they had a nice night you know it was a, it was a yeah. good night and I enjoyed that as well so props to Danny for doing that as well with his guys and that yeah. but they've done really well since they've done a bit of bloodstock haven't they and stuff They've done really well. Yeah, he's been on twice yeah. on the show, Dan. Oh, yeah. Always good, always positive, always Definitely. got lots of interesting things to say. Like real, real generated, real motivated guy. Like as a well, talent as well. Very yes, great, great player, well. great player. And he was. Uh, I, I remember doing. He done Bloodstock. I think it was the first time, and I lent him a brand new microphone to go on stage with. Oh yeah, lovely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And he's he a nice, ladies and gentlemen. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's a nice, <laughs> nice sound guy. He's a nice guy. Guys, guy. You swear a lot. <laughs> yeah, just swear a lot. That's how we get it out. We get it Obviously, out. our friends and your friends defied from up in St. Helens. Uh, yes. Now they, they are, they are going places. Them guys. All they need <laughs> is that little extra, tiny little push and a bit of luck, and they'll be on the big scene, no problem. They'll be supporting some big artists. They, they are, they are. To keep it blunt, they are next. Definitely. They, they are. I couldn't agree more. I'll probably wear that t- tomorrow on the live show, but yeah, they are fine. Like, yeah, superb. I'll right. probably wear that on the live show, yeah. Mention, mentions to promotion people that I've worked with in, in uh, Outpost and Maguire and Stan Pilgrim and what have you. Dead Sounds, Rob Scott with Death Sounds, um, Antipop. Um, yes, Antipop, Tony, yeah. Tony Vermin and what have you from Antipop and all them guys and ladies Fantastic. deal with that as well. Such nice people. I've enjoyed it. Uh, we working with them all this time. Sounds like a sort of like I'm gonna die tomorrow or something. <laughs> like me epitaph or something. No, you just you, know what I mean? you just sh- honestly you just shedding the spotlight on <laughs> all these names are familiar to me, but they well, might not be familiar go. to other people. You know, there's another punk promoter, Revenge of the Rift. You may have heard. Yeah, them. Matt. But Matt, yeah, Matt yeah, Bunnell. Yeah. Uh, they're they're nice people as well. They do Super they run a nice gig. Nice tip, tight ship, as they say. Yeah, uh, yeah. And the other one is the one of the one of the longest from from when I started engineering. One of the bands that I've known for the longest uh, is a band, a punk band from Warrington called Hummer. You may have heard of them. I know them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Will Atkinson and uh, and um, Tom and uh, Kaney. They're a three piece now. Uh, but Will Atkinson is by far and away the best bass player in fucking the north of England by a long oh, way. Yeah, that guy yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Right, okay, so big props to Will as well, you know, we're all thinking about you. And at every gig, at every gig at a Hummer, you'll always find me shouting Fight Star at the back, because he <laughs> loves me doing that. 
like because it goes back to a gig we did in St. Helens. Yeah. Probably, maybe you could get him on the show because he'd be an interesting guy to chat to, honestly. Most definitely. Um, Most definitely. Um, but like he'll tell you the story as well, so that's one for the future. Okay. <laughs> Right, anything else we can talk about? <laughs> There's some fucking hell here. We, we could talk about this. Clearly, clearly, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get Ian back on the show. We, we need to get it back on the show because this has been great. This has been great. We've, we're nearly up to two hours. We could we could, we could do another two in, in, without, without breaking a sweat, yeah. no problem at all. And I, I strongly urge that everybody, when he listens to this show, those names that he was talking about, check out those people because they're all promoters who need your help. They need yeah. to, you know, certainly if you're into metal, most definitely if you're into punk as well. These are people that put on shows regularly. They need you to go to these fucking shows. They need you to start following the stuff that they're doing. Otherwise, this becomes an echo chamber and nothing moves forward. Now, we've laughed and joked about some of the stuff, and some of the stuff's pretty serious as well. But t- if you take anything from this, know that the, there are people like Ian out there and you don't see them. They're in the shadows. They're a lot of the time. They're behind the desk, and you don't really know he's there. If it's a shit gig, you'll know. You'll know if he's there or not because you'll fucking. You'll know. But what I wanted to say is, on behalf of everybody that goes to the outpost and the shows, do thank you for what you do. You know, you oh, don't. Dude, no you, you, sound guys often get the shit end of the stick. When it's great, you no know, one talks about it. When it's shit, everybody puts them to bed. And it's like, it's very important to do. And like I say, people like yourself and what the outpost are doing. Is the way that we're going to get out of the problems that we have with the live scene. It just requires a bit of determination. So I think a lot of people will listen to this and go, ha, 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 that was funny. But I think there's some large elements of truth and stuff that they can take away as well and maybe have a strong look at the way they, their band acts and the way they act as a promoter. Listen, I've, I knew this would be fun. I knew this would be fun because we've had those conversations <laughs> and I knew it would be. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, in Andrews, how good was that? That was fun. <laughs> sitting down there with Ian Andrews and it really was you know it's one of the funniest certainly one of the funniest shows I've done in quite some time I hope you enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoyed that and like I said there was almost an underbelly of, of a very serious sort of things to talk about there things that you know as a young band or, or as a, an older band who maybe haven't you know weren't aware that that's what was pissing off a sound guy or a venue owner or whatever I try and inform as best I can and, and the guests I, I get on and try and give us really nice sort of insights into that world to make it always come from a positive stance always trying to make it so it's more uh you, you, everybody gets on better you know the shows run smooth everybody understands what's going on and you know kind of give a little bit of an insight and i think he did a really good job of that he, he comes across as um you know a very sort of you know oh, there's my list of things that i want to come up but they're all valid points and he comes across quite tough but it's all very fair but don't let that fool you. Ian's, Ian's a, a super nice gentleman, super nice guy. He's the patience of a saint for a sound guy. And possibly one of the best sound guys in, on, in the Northwest, certainly to the shows that I've been. So we'll definitely have him on again. It really fabulous sitting down sitting down with him. And once again, I hope you enjoyed it. It's getting hot now, so it's tough being inside sometimes. So if you can get out and get, grab a beer and sit in your garden, if you've got one, you know, it's nice to them get people saying that they listen to this show and it takes their mind off you know the, the, the bad times that are going on at the moment that's all i ever wants to be um, and hopefully if we can form and help young bands and existing bands with their, their journey into you know into whichever way they want to go then that's that's i'm grateful for that i had a lot of feedback telling me that people enjoy this show which is amazing it's still amazing and i encourage people to keep messaging me keep suggesting who I should get on the show if i should go on someone else's podcast maybe that's something that should happen and bands I should listen to. I, I, I really, I've got a ferocious appetite for new bands, and I'm constantly getting sent 
amazing stuff people are saying there's not much great new, new music out there they are wrong there's fucking tons of it i'm inundated with it and i want to keep being inundated with it so please if you're in a band send me any of your bits and pieces i will check it out i don't necessarily review stuff but i certainly shout from the rooftops about the stuff i like once again folks i promise we will we're getting to we're near at the end now we're, we're, we're really near the end of Gigs are, we can see them here. We stand on our tiptoes. We can see gigs from here now. They're, they're very close. So I will see you at those shows. <laughs>